Star Trek, The Next Generation. This is the podcast of Whitney Seibold and William Bibiani. Our ongoing mission to watch every episode of Star Trek in the correct order, dang it. Why? Because we're nerds! <laughs> Tonight's episode... The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2. Captain's Log, Stardate 43989.1, and <gasps> Captain's Log 44001.4. Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, the times, they are a-changing. Or the stardates, anyway. I think when the stardate ticks over, it's technically a new year. Uh, greetings, listeners. Welcome to All Our Yesterdays. This is our Star Trek podcast, where we talk about all the Star Treks. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. That's uh, William. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm William Bibiani. Uh, everyone calls me Bibbs. And uh, this is a podcast that is normally a Patreon exclusive, but since this is a very special episode we're talking about, we wanted to share it with everybody. All Our Yesterdays is where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. And when we started this journey... Uh, Whitney Seibold was and still is a died in the wool Trekkie, but I was a novice. I was. You, you had seen a, a, all the movies, right? I'd seen all the movies, yeah. and I'd seen I'd seen like Deep Space Nine, but mo- there's a ton of Star Trek I hadn't seen. Uh, and as time has gone on, I have become uh, far bigger a fan mm. than I was. But my opinions are sometimes still weird. So. Um, at least to other Star Trek fans. So this is the conversation we have every single week over at the Patreon page. We have gone through the entire original series of Ooh. Star Trek, uh, one podcast per uh, one episode per podcast. Uh, the first five movies, the entire original animated series, uh, and now all the way through the end of season three of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So that's that's nearly two hundred episodes that's just of this. That's a lot of Star Trek uh, yeah. by any measure, and it's just continuing to grow. Um, Star Trek Picard season three, as of this recording, uh, is about to premiere. And uh, they're just not going to stop. No, they're not going to let us quit. They just said that Prodigy is going to get a second season. Well, good for them. Uh, I think Discovery is about to do its fifth. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just a lot of Star Trek out there. They found out we were doing a Star Trek podcast, and they were like, let's get them. And now we're trapped. Never stop. We're going to be doing this until the day we die or afterwards at this rate. Uh, but yeah, we've been doing Star Trek The Next Generation, as we've uh, iterated endlessly over on uh, in the Patreon corner. Uh, the first two our seasons... Our Patreon is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, by the way, and you can have our whole back catalog there, so there you go. Uh, the first two seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation were a little rough going, first one especially. Oh, there's, a, there's a few good ones, yeah, uh, there and there's, all... there's even some great ones in, in the second season, but uh, overall uneven at best. It was uh, work. It's... Getting through the first two seasons yeah. is, is is homework. Uh, to the extent, actually, that uh, you and I, uh, on, on our off hours, came up with an alternate first season so of like, Star Trek Next Generation. It's like a, a hatchet cut of the first season of Next Generation. Yeah. We, where we, just cut out all the bad episodes. You don't need to see Angel One. You don't need to see Code <laughs> of Honor. Uh, there's a lot of just sort of blah episodes that have don't have much to do with anything. Uh but yeah, there are some good ones in there, so mm. let's keep the good ones and construct mm. like one solid season out of the first two, which you kind of can. Yeah, in fact, uh, we've we've whittled it down to sixteen episodes 
mm-hmm. uh, that are just if you want to see the other ones by all means, but if you want to like only see the good stuff and the stuff that is important for later. So occasionally it's a dud of an episode, but it's really important. Uh, we will actually post that on our Twitter account uh, okay. shortly after this. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If Twitter's still working, if Twitter, if Twitter has crashed <laughs> and burned <laughs> Twitter, today. Twitter's been uh, doing a lot of a lot of horrible things recently. I'll also put it on the Patreon page for this episode. Yeah, sounds good. So, uh, but uh, yeah, we we have come up with our alternate first season of Star Trek, and you know what? I think it's pretty damn solid, and it's a good season. So there you go, because of all the stuff you don't have to watch, because some of it's really bad. But uh, we are up to the end of season three and the beginning mm-hmm. of season four. This was a cliffhanger episode. Which Star Trek had uh, never Star done Trek before. Star Trek had never done this before. And golly, what a cliffhanger. Oh my God. Uh, this is often called not just the best episode of Next Generation. It's often called one of the best Trek episodes in general. And even one of the best sci-fi TV episodes in general. Uh, it's really has a has a long reach, best of both worlds. I remember when this came out. And I watched the Star Trek Next Generation when it came out. Mm. Off and on. Uh and this was the biggest cliffhanger probably of like my young life. Like it was between this and Who Shot Mr. Burns. <laughs> and Who Shot Mr. Burns is just a big old parody of Who Killed JR. Uh, uh. This climax to season three, Best of Both Worlds Part One, ends in such an exciting, unexpected way. And rewatching the episode, I realized there are levels to it that I, I missed oh. in terms of just how it seemed. Everything could change right here. Yeah. Uh, and believe it or not, it actually comes together in a really satisfying way as well. And we're going to talk about how it builds up that giant cliffhanger and how we come back and how this changes a lot of the show. This changes uh, how well we, what we know and how we feel about the Borg. Mm. Um the events of this episode will be referred to incessantly yeah. uh, throughout the rest of Star Trek. It's the basis of one of the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's even referenced in an upcoming episode of Picard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, it's it's significant in terms of Trek lore, but it's also just a, a really good drama. Yeah. What um, what a lot of uh, what you don't really sort of acknowledge about Best of Both Worlds is the Borg episode. People say. Yeah. And it's about Picard getting assimilated, and that's a big part of it, but. It's actually a Riker episode. It is. It's it's actually about Starfleet and careerism just as much as it is about the Borg. It's actually it's easily the best Riker episode we've had so far. Yeah, and and in yeah. fact I think moving forward Riker's arc is sort of over after this. Yeah. This idea that he is ambitious and is trying to build up a career in Starfleet kind of ends here and yeah. it's a bit of a wall. Uh, Riker uh, is offered command in this mm-hmm. episode, and he doesn't tell anybody. Yeah. He's been offered command before. No. Uh, and he didn't take it because he didn't feel like he didn't feel like it at the time. Mm. Uh, and this time he's offered a command, and, and like ad- admirals are just like, he, he keeps turning down command. We're going to stop asking after a while. Mm. You should tell him to take one of these bad boys. Um. Yeah, Riker is a character who I, I feel like they kind of struggled with Riker for a while because the, he was clearly the Kirk stand-in when the show began. Okay. Uh, he was uh, young and handsome and uh, very well-sexed. Like, he would sex with the best of them. Like, he would, like, oh, there's an alien president. I'll sex them. And they sexed them well. And... 
That was not what Bakirk was. It's not like he's sexting. Like he's he's sending naughty texts to people. Yeah. Uh, Well, he's beaming himself over. So I guess he's a living emoji. Uh, he's just a living eggplant, and uh, but Picard wouldn't do any of that shit. You need it. who's going to be the dashing, who's going to be the uh, the audience surrogate for people who want to just be cool and phase people and kiss. Uh, and for a bit, that's what he was. And indeed, we've seen him in this season be just kind of a kind of a rake in kind of amusing ways like when Picard went on vacation and Riker played a prank on him to like hey could you pick me up this souvenir and the souvenir is code on that planet for down to fuck a sex code yeah yeah Yeah. Um, Uh, buy the statue hold it next to you and yeah everyone would just be like well I hear you like sex very much and Picard was like no and um but there was also the episode not that long ago where it was their Rashomon episode mm. where we found out that not everyone sees Riker as like a, a friendly flirt. Some people find him uh, ab- abrasive and um, creepy. Yeah. A message he didn't internalize very well. But I think the implication of this episode is that he's been working on himself. A little bit. He gets a less lascivious going forward. Troy, Troy mentions in this episode how much he's grown as a person and... And my headcanon is the only way I like Riker is if he's really grown after that whole creepy Ooh. bit. So uh, I, I'm hoping that's the case. Um, but yeah, so the episode opens with a huge uh, uh, a huge plot point. We had last seen the Borg last season in an episode called Q Who, mm-hmm. where uh, Q, in an attempt to teach Picard a little humility, uh, points out that they're not... As as strong as the Federation feels, they're not ready for everything the universe is going to throw at them. Mm-hmm. And he introduces them to the Borg. And the Borg immediately overpower them. And it gets to the yeah, point where they, they have to flee as fast as they can, and they ask Q for help. And the problem is, now the Borg know they're out there, and the Borg are coming. Yeah. So we've been waiting this whole time, and we keep talking about, are we ready for the Borg to show up? They needed to make the return of the Borg big. Yeah. They had to. And so at the beginning uh, of this episode, this like, a whole been, colony has been destroyed yeah. by the Borg. And this could have been unfulfilled. They could have just ran into the Borg and not ever gone back to them again. <laughs> They've done that uh, before. Remember the weird creepy parasites at the yeah, end of season the, those one? Yeah, little bugs in, in the yeah. episode Conspiracy. Yeah, the, the implication that was that those bugs would eventually come back. The, mm-hmm. the last shot of that episode was, like, their signal mm-hmm. out in space. Like, yep. it's still out there. And there was, after that first season, a uh, pseudo-cliffhanger, because, you know, the I don't know if it's really a cliffhanger if it's never resolved. Um... There was some some talk apparently about like that would be what the Borg became, mm. like there that would lead directly into the Borg or something like the Borg, and that was how this was going to build. And then they were just like, ah, fuck it, the Borg's more interesting, <laughs> so we're doing the Borg now. Yeah. So uh, so the Borg are back finally, and uh, a lot faster is... than they thought. And uh, we have a new character. We have uh, Lieutenant Commander Shelby, who's played by Elizabeth Dennehy. She's Brian Dennehy's a... daughter. That's right, Brian Dennehy's daughter, mm. and. Uh, I like her. I like her as really? a character mm-hmm. um, uh, because she she fits really well with uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah. In uh, in that she's sort of trying to out careerist Riker, mm. but she's also like really displays her capabilities mm. more often. Mm. Riker, they kept saying in dialogue, "Oh, he's a very good officer," but we didn't necessarily see it on screen a lot. I think yeah. with. Uh, with Lieutenant Commander Shelby, we do. Well, we're introduced to this person. She comes in, she's assisting the Admiral, and the Admiral says, 
She's she's young, she's hungry, and she has been absolutely instrumental in the Borg task force. Yeah. She has been uh, become an expert in everything we know about the Borg and in developing any potential defense strategies we could have against the Borg. Uh, we think she's fantastic, and she'd be a great new number one officer for the Enterprise. And Picard's what? like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you know, we offered Riker a command, and Picard's like, what? <laughs> yeah, we offered him a command. <laughs> what? Yeah, you should tell him to take that command, and you should hire this person. And I, and I wish Picard would have said, I have a lot of great officers here at the Enterprise who are due for a promotion. <laughs> Data has been my de facto second second in command for a mm-hmm. long time now. I could promote one of them. It's, oh, it's a new character. Okay, new character. We'll just do new character. It's, she, it's so unfair. Um, yeah. Surely you've worked in a, a job. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever worked in an office job, you probably mm. see this a lot where a position is about to open. Somebody yeah. leaves the company or uh, like you're poised for uh, a management position. Yeah. And then they hire from outside. Yeah. Uh, now, imagine if you're a Starfleet officer, you're at peace with this. Well, you're gonna, you could potentially get reassigned anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, I was working at a bookstore, one of the bigger chains, and this happened. I, I actually, it was actually was one of the few times I was ever like, oh, I could be an assistant manager, I'll try. Mm. Uh, but what I discovered is that if you want to become like an assistant manager at this particular large bookstore chain, uh-huh. um, and you already work at one, you can't be in charge at that store. because oh, And the, raci- the rationale was... Everyone there sees you as just one of the grunts, uh-huh. and you want to come in and have people immediately see you as the assistant manager. Um, okay. I'm not sure I agree with that philosophy, but it is a philosophy. The idea that if, oh, all, all of a sudden, oh, oh, so now Ted is in charge? Pfft. Ted. <laughs> Whereas, like, oh, who's this new guy, Ted? I hear he's great. You know, that kind of shit. Yeah. So that might have been the philosophy. Uh, but um, in any case, we're introduced to this new character, and the implication is this is either going to be a one-off, she's going to learn a valuable lesson about why she's not ready yet, and we'll, we'll be stuck with Riker. Mm-hmm. Or are we replacing someone on this show? And that's something that I think was really interesting, that I've totally forgotten about this episode, mm-hmm. is that by making it about will Riker decide to become a captain, by introducing a new replacement Riker, and by the end of the episode, ending on a cliffhanger, where, and everyone knows as we've already talked about it, uh, Jean-Luc Picard is overtaken and and infected by the Borg. Mm. It makes you wonder, is, is Patrick Stewart's contract up? This is that was, where we're going with this? Is Riker going to be yeah. the new Picard, and this is going to be the new Riker, and we're just going to not we're going to write Patrick Stewart out of the show after this? This was it early could enough. Happen. Yeah, this was early enough in the show that they could have re, been recasting the show. Yeah, where uh, their Lieutenant Shelby was going to be a new per, new character on the show, a new yeah. regular. Riker was going to be the captain of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, and a great it, captain, actually. We've seen in this episode. He's, he can do it real well. Uh, I, I think he's a less interesting character than Picard, mm-hmm. but uh, it would have been interesting to see him grow. Interesting. I say great captain, not necessarily great character as a captain. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think he would have done the job of being an Enterprise captain very, very well. Um, it, it's this, it's this interesting situation that we've talked about before, where a lot of the be- the more interesting characters in Star Trek: The Next Generation mm-hmm. don't actually have anywhere to grow. Yeah, like yeah. Crusher is a great character. She has, she has no her shit, yeah, she has her shit together. She's no no meaningful character flaws that she needs to constantly overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it's difficult to write for that. To, and uh, if you heal Riker of his erasability, uh-huh. of his... Uh, uh, er- er- erasability. What did I say? You said er- erasability. Like you know, you, you can, you like can, you can rub him out really him. easily, yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if, you can, if you make him a little less of a scallywag, uh-huh. um, he's done. Well, also, he's defined by his career. He his ambition is all he has. This is why I said his arc is over. Yeah. Uh, he has now been captain of the Enterprise. He selected a first officer. He made a lot of difficult choices. He proved that he actually can stay cool in a command situation. Mm-hmm. He proves that he still has a lot to grow. He starts uh, developing a rapport with Guinan a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that happens in these two episodes that prove that he is pretty much ready for the captaincy. Yeah. And then they walk it all back, and where is he going to go after that? Yeah. Like, it's not going to be until Star Trek Nemesis that he finally takes command. Mm-hmm. It's in 2002. That's a decade from now. Yeah. And and in Star Trek time, too. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of time actually passes. The, uh, the decision of Riker to move on or stay, apparently, was uh, actually very, very uh, uh, close to the heart of uh, Michael Piller. Okay, one, uh, who, of the, one of the executive producers on the show. Yeah, and he was uh, he was writing this episode, and he was he he would been like basically in charge with season three, uh-huh. and he was debating whether or not to stay. Oh, why? Okay, and that was kind of the similar. The, apparently, there's a whole conversation in this episode, Best of Both Worlds Part One, where Riker is just talking to to Deanna Troy, uh-huh. talking about I thought I wanted to go, but now I'm really confused, and I don't know. Hmm. Am I just sabotaging my career by staying here, or is this just where I'm really happy? And Troy, I really thought she was going to be a bit more egalitarian about it. She uh. just says, "You're happy here, and that's okay to admit that." Yeah, yeah. It's okay, like it's okay to set your career down for a bit and be where you've got kind of a family. Yeah, which is a major about face for Riker as a character to mm. realize that and to decide. And this is something we've talked about in our criticism a lot. It's very few uh, movies and shows really deal with this well. What happens when you have a dream and the dream changes? It can be yeah. really hard to set the dream down. Um, that's what, uh, weirdly enough, Monsters University is yeah. about. Uh, it's what Clerks 2 is about. Um, yeah. I really like the ending of Clerks 2, uh, where the, the two main characters, uh, Dante and Randall, yeah. uh, buy the convenience store <laughs> where they were stuck in their 20s. Like, yeah. That was their crappy job. They hated it. Yeah. And yet, now they realize they this realize is what they that want. that's yeah, that's kind of like where they were happiest, like sort of having conversations and shooting the breeze and having that freedom. Now they can just sort of have that. That can be their life. Yeah, and they get that stagnating, choosing mm. to stay in one one place, can be a very mature decision. Well, it doesn't have to even be. I think that's a matter of perspective. Even calling it stagnating well, yeah. is is it's just a matter of decide again deciding what you want from your life. And a lot of people assume that if you had a stated goal. I want to do this. I want this career. I want to move to this place. And you end up deciding not to do that, that it is some kind of failure. And I think it's because the vast majority of media stories that we have that tell you tales of people pursuing their dreams, they almost always err on the side of it's most important to pursue your original dream. And And life is more complicated than that. And sometimes you realize... That actually wasn't what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be good for me, and then I realized it wasn't good for me, or it wasn't the job that I thought it was, or it doesn't actually fulfill the part of myself that I thought 
it, it needed to be fulfilled and other things do. And I realized that I need to prioritize different things in my life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to be stagnating. That doesn't have to be a, a, a failure. That can be actually kind of wise. Well, yeah, and that's, that's your choice as an adult. Yeah. <clears throat> no, again, if they, also pursue your dreams. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But if you come, reach well, to a I, point I, where you realize the dream is the thing that's holding you back from doing what you really want to do, that's the time to reassess. Yeah, I really like that scene, though, between Riker and Troy. because yeah, it's very uh, mature. It, it, it's very mature, and uh, it stays... I mean, re- remember, Troy can... Troy knows how you're feeling. She yeah. can sense your feelings. Well, and and, so, and again, uh, we don't, don't really talk about it, but with Riker, she's actually functionally psychic. Yeah, so, so they, she really knows him. So she she just she has him pegged, and uh, so when she says you're just happy here, that's that's the unspoken thing that's going on here. It's like why why am I staying here? And in just sort of saying you're happy here, <coughs> yeah, it is kind of exploding the conflict. Yeah. There isn't a conflict. He knows what he wants to do. He's made his decision. Yeah. Uh, it's just sort of offset by a conversation he had earlier with Captain Picard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Picard had that conversation yeah. with the Admiral. And I, I love the scene uh, where uh, Picard says to Riker, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. Why are you still on this ship? And even says, the Enterprise is going to do fine without you. Yeah. There have been enterprises before, enterprises uh, since. We'll, we'll be fine. Uh, I'm... I'm not sure if you've ever... Uh, again, I, I see uh, Star Trek as very much a workplace show. And I'm not sure if you've ever had uh, worked in one place, retail, whatever it is, an yeah. office, for so long <sighs> that you start to overestimate your value there. Yeah. I think this place would fall apart without me. That yeah. kind of, that feeling. That's something Riker's going through. Yeah. I, well, maybe, I, maybe it couldn't do without me. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and Riker says straight to his face, we'll do fine. I'll miss you, but... We can get another first officer. But Picard says that you said. Or, right, excuse right. me, Picard says that. And and this new uh, uh, Commander Shelby shows up, and she's the new Riker. Mm-hmm. She's got that young fire, you know, mm-hmm. that young energy, that young enthusiasm. She's very very good at what she does. This isn't one of those episodes where someone comes along and they're overstating their abilities or they have a valuable lesson to learn. She's great. Uh huh. She's legitimately good at this. She is not going to betray them or anything like that in any kind of big melodramatic fashion. She's very, very good at what she does. She is the new version of Riker. And as a result, she makes Riker question his own identity because shouldn't I be more like that? Uh-huh. I thought I was more like that. That's how I, that's how I imagine myself. And, and now I meet myself and I don't recognize them. And I realize that I was kind of an ass yeah in some regards uh, but of course because he recognizes that he he doesn't acknowledge that and treat her fairly he gets really spiky with shelby Mm -hmm. well but he has he has legitimate grievances with her i mean she doesn't do anything terrible no but there's a moment they're gonna they're gonna beam down to the colony that has been destroyed by the borg Altogether, first thing in the morning. To, to check to see if it was the Borg that did the, it. Yeah, right? they're, they're, they're going to check for various readings to try to confirm that it was the Borg. Um, they're going to go first thing in the morning. He gets to the transporter pad when they were supposed to be there. She's already been down there for an hour with Data. Mm. And he beams down and he says, the fuck? And she's just like, hey, look, there's like a storm system coming. We're going to lose all this data. So I got the actual data to come over here. And we were going to, we collected more actual data. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay, that was the right thing to do, but you should have told me you went behind my back. That is the wrong thing to do. Mm. And that is a much more Picard thing. Yeah. He's be- <laughs> he's already framing himself. He's angry at her because he imagines himself as her. But over the course of this two-parter, when he realizes that he's the elder statesman, 
and he's in a place to help people grow into where they need to be, he becomes more comfortable. Yeah. Again, ro- just rock solid Riker episode. <laughs> uh, it's great, great. Right. All of the relationships are really great too, because yeah. um, as he takes command, not yeah. only does he develop this really great relationship with Shelby. Yeah. It's kind of like you can see uh, the two of them sort of uh, kind of butting heads a little bit as as a series go for as the series might go forward without Picard. Theoretically, she's yeah. the new first officer. He's the new captain. Mm. Again, that's what they want he, us to uh, think could happen. He kind of resents her careerism because he sees herself. Mm-hmm. He sees himself in her. Uh, it's that's really well established. Like right away, I love the way the two actors uh, interact. Also, it's interesting to watch Riker's relationships with other characters kind of change mm. as he takes authority figures, or, t- or excuse me, takes a becomes their authority figure. Uh, the way he starts sort of giving orders, he's a little bit more standoffish. He's not mm-hmm. as chummy. The idea of that Riker mm-hmm. going to a poker game now kind of seems moribund. Yeah, like there's, it, it reminds Riker, you that there's Captain a reason why Riker. Picard doesn't go. Yeah, Captain Riker wouldn't do that. Commander Riker is is a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, to, well, to use a word they used on the show before, jocular. Well, I get because that's something that as, he, there's the captain, and the captain needs to have a certain air of, Decorum. Uh, decorum, austerity, if you will. Uh, and then the second in command is more of an attache, really. A, a mm. Sort of a, a stepping stone between him and the crew. Yeah. Where you can say things to the second in command you couldn't say to the <sighs> captain. Right. You know, and the, he needs to have that freedom. He needs to be someone that the crew identifies with a little bit more than the captain. Uh. But he's still right there and he's got the captain's ear. That is valuable. That mm. is, again, workplace. That's important yeah. For the uh, uh, the whole strata. Uh, but in any case, the Borg are here, and that sucks. So they go they well, go the, find uh, the Borg. And it's it's kind of astonishing how, how much they keep the Borg in the dark. I appreciate yeah. that. That's, that's like classic monster movie structure. Mm. You don't show your monster for 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, then at the beginning of Act 2, that's when the monster shows up. Again, you talk about them constantly. We only saw them once. It was, it was a season and a half ago. Mm-hmm. But we've been talking about them constantly. And it it just makes it that much more exciting when they show up. Uh, and, and I think Trek has learned a valuable lesson about this, because they tried this with the Ferengi. Mm. The first two or three episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, they kept talking about the Ferengi as this mysterious, threatening, kind carnivorous of a, species. Yeah, like they, they eat their victims, yeah. and they're just these kind of like monstrous like, uh, creatures. And if you and again, we know the, 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 who the Ferengi are now, but if you go back and try to watch it with those like fresh eyes, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, they're trying to make the Ferengi sound really scary. Mm. They're trying to make the Ferengi sound like, I don't know, like the Gorn is treated on Strange New Worlds. Uh, and then they actually introduce the Ferengi, and the Ferengi do not live up to that description. Mm. You, you, you really whiffed it on the Ferengi. It became its own thing. Uh, for better and worse. Uh, but with the Borg, they did not drop the ball. They needed to make it incredibly intimidating. And a part of that is just the nature of the Borg. Mm. They're, they're not a person. Yeah, they're not, the, they, uh, they can't be reasoned with. They're, they're, a, they're a force. They're an unstoppable the, uh, force. The more personality the Borg has, the less interesting they are. Yeah. And uh, the, the, this was a big mistake they made with Star Trek First Contact. When they made the Borg movie, yeah, uh, okay, it's it's a Borg episode. They're invading Earth again. Uh, they kind of hastily threw that at the beginning. Oh, look, there's Adam Scott, uh, and uh, <laughs> that's true. Adam Scott's got a, a blink and you'll miss it 
uh, uh, role in Star Trek First Contact. Adam Scott from uh, Parks and Recreation played uh, a character called Defiant Crew Member because mm-hmm. he was on the USS Defiant. Yeah, he wasn't actually that defiant as a character. No, well, hang on a second. Uh, his line of dialogue is like he's like tapping his panel. Uh, the Defiant is being battered by the Borg. Yeah, it opens in a giant and, uh, battle, yeah. And, uh, and Worf is captaining uh, the, the Defiant. He's like, today's a good day to die. Prefer, prepare for ramming speed. And Adam Scott like taps a few panels and says, wait a minute, we don't have to do that. It's the Enterprise. Like, he gets the big line. Okay, I guess it is a little yeah. Defiant. And, uh, He's defying and, and, Worf's and then the, order. And then the Enterprise E, that big ugly piece of shit shit. <laughs> from, uh, the Sovereign class is an ugly piece of shit. I said it. <laughs> Not elegant. It's all right, all ugly, right. Ugly, ugly, ugly show. I, I have no, uh, I have no horse in this race. So now I got to ask, what's the most attractive version of the Enterprise? Well, what's, since, what's the sexiest Enterprise? Since I grew up watching Next Generation, mm-hmm. I like the curves. Uh, put that aside. The big, the big poofy. Put aside. Put aside your nostalgia. I, I'm not D. interested in it. Like um, on on as 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 much of like put it on your critic brain. <laughs> okay. Be honest. Let's see what it's like the most capable. See, the Enterprise D had like a lot of recreation. There were families on board, mm-hmm. so if I wasn't an officer, I'd want to live on the Enterprise D. Okay. Uh, in terms of like an efficient type of a ship, I think they said a lot about the Excelsior class mm-hmm. in like Star Trek VI. Sulu was captain of the Excelsior, and mm-hmm. the Enterprise B was an Excelsior class. We got mm-hmm. to see that one in Generations. Okay. Uh, so maybe that one. <laughs> Your confidence is staggering. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. Also, I, I, I somehow I thought you'd have a more a more formed opinion about this. Uh, well, I did. I said I said the Enterprise D, but you said I couldn't. I couldn't do that. No, I, I, no, I, I didn't say you couldn't pick the Enterprise that. D. You just you, you you couched it in nostalgia. Yeah, it's okay yeah. if that's still your answer. I just didn't want it to only nostalgia to be okay. the the guiding reason. If it's still the Enterprise B, Enterprise B, that's, B, that's the one with uh, uh, Alan Ruck was the captain of that one. Oh, poor Alan. Yeah, we didn't see that one until after the show was over because we saw the Enterprise C and yeah. yesterday's Enterprise. Yeah, that's a good um, looking ship, actually. Enterprise C is a pretty good one. That's yeah. a very uh, no B. I'm looking at the B. Oh, the B. Okay, you, yeah. You told me. You told me to look at B. I'm looking at B. It looks very yeah, swoopy. Uh, Enterprise B is pretty cool. Looks like looks like, it looks uh, like it, a design you'd be on the side of a sneaker. You also might want to look up the Enterprise J. No. Um, there was like some future episodes of Enterprise where we got to okay. like look in like centuries into the Ooh, future. Ooh, that's a fun one. And it, that one looks like a flying saucer. I it think does. It's a really cool looking one. I kind of appreciate that. That's, that's a sexy like, ship. It's kind of like spindly and, and yeah. weird looking. I dig it. So yeah, I like the Enterprise J. And because it's mm. in the future, who knows what kind of weird future technology mm-hmm. it's got. I think, am I crazy? What I like about the Enterprise, about that version actually, is that it looks a little bit like the IDIC logo. The Enterprise J, the Enterprise J, a little bit, and by by making it much more about the front sphere and yeah. how it like the moves back to the saucer, yeah. and then how it like segues into the pylons, it looks like the Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combinations logo just a little bit. I, yeah, I guess so. Just a smidge, yeah. you know. I think it brings it, it makes brings a nice full circle. Mm. We're off in the weeds. Uh, <laughs> the the Borg are coming, and uh, here's the thing: uh, we we have at the Federation, we've been working on weapons and ships that could fight the Borg. Uh, they're at least eighteen months away. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do not have any of that shit. And so, of course, it's all on Jordy. So, Jordy, mm-hmm. hey, could you jury rig something in the next four hours that could Yo, destroy I, the I Borg? Yes. Uh, sure, they, Captain. 
they, they say, we, we've developed this great weapon. We'll have to channel it through the de- de- the deflector dish, that big eye on the front of the ship. Yeah. Uh, it's the only part of the ship that can, like, really channel that much power. Okay, do that. Well, here's the problem. It's, like, really short range, and it would blow us up, too. Oh, okay, well. Okay, we'll fix it. <laughs> can you make it, can you give it better range? Yeah, okay. Well, we can try. Well, yeah. Later in the episode, they try. Yeah, we'll see how that goes, but yeah. I don't want to save that for him because I think that's kind of fun. Um... So yeah, a lot of this episode is them preparing to meet the Borg, mm-hmm. but then the Borg are showing up, and the Borg are headed directly to Earth. Yeah. That's their plan. They're going to just destroy the Federation at their heart. Sector 001, the Terran yeah. system. They don't actually come out and say it, but I think the implication here is that the Borg, which look down on everyone who isn't the Borg, they, they see us as, no, as less than nothing. They don't, they don't look down on us. They're just they see us as raw materials. Yeah, we're we're anathema they, to them. Just, we, they, we, have they, no, we have no value to them other than how they can sort of add it to their own yeah collective. Yeah, they 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 have no emotional attachment to us one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, however, if that was true, they wouldn't necessarily have pursued us to the other end of the galaxy as quickly as they did. Hmm. And I think the implication, at least a little, is because. The Enterprise got away, which is something they shouldn't have been able to do. Uh, the Borg are intrigued. Okay, I I think that I think they they are they have prioritized the Federation in a way that otherwise would seem out of character. But because well, Q here's... was able to blink them across the universe, mm. the Borg are like, uh, "That's different. We should get some of that." And now they're here. Here's, here, here's my thought that. It wasn't about like their wounded ego, mm-hmm. and it wasn't about them prioritizing about, okay. uh, you know this particular group. Uh, one ship ran into this other ship. It says, "Okay, our assignment is to assimilate that ship." By the way, it's going to take us years to get over there. I said, "Of course, we have time. We're robots. We're the we, board. We, we, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we don't get bored. We'll just start on a yeah. path and go. Like, we we all we all come pre-programmed with solitaire. We're good. <laughs> they have snake." <laughs> They're little eyepieces. Yeah, you can play Minesweeper on that ship, literally. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I don't think there was any motivation other than that was that one ship's assignment. Well, regardless, uh, they've, been, they, they've they, been targeted. They did say that uh, they weren't sure if this was the same ship or that they ran into in Q-Who. Yeah. But it's impossible to tell with the Borg because they're all yeah. identical. Yeah, there's no there's there's no defining characteristic of it. And there's no, like, one captain like, oh, it's Trevor. Yeah. This guy again. <laughs> Trevor Borg. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> now I'm just imagining Trevor Bork. Um, <laughs> he's wearing a tank top with a surfing Tyrannosaurus on it. Hey, hey, I ran into the outrageous Econo. We were over here. I've been assimilating him. Cool guy. Cool guy. You'll add Perf- your- perfect the way he is. You'll add your brewskis to our own. <laughs> Imagine the, the one, the one Borg party cube uh, in. Oh God. Okay. Apologies for this. In one of the Star Trek novels. Uh, Don't apologize. I find this fascinating. Okay, They're uh, weird. Because I've read a lot of the Star Trek novels when yeah. I was a teenager. Um, there was one called Vendetta, and mm. it was about um, a, a Borg assimilated a Ferengi, which, okay. had, which hadn't happened on the show before. Yeah. And the Ferengi was so uh, convincing about profit and negotiation mm. nice. that the Borg decided to like adopt that as part of their philosophy, like trade suddenly became part of like the Borg collective nice. or at least this one Borg ship. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the Ferengi was assimilated, but he was allowed to sort of keep his negotiation skills. So he was still like oh really God. talkative. Um, they That's do, funny. they do some wild stuff in the novels. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. 
hmm. where uh, the the Cylons are a machine species. Hmm. Uh, they were created by man, but you know they're off on their own. And what they there was a war. They vanished, and when they came back, they restarted the war. But the big motivation for the war is that the Cylons have found religion. Oh, okay. And that's a new wrinkle that no one anticipated. Okay. And there's a bit that later on... Like, like an Earth religion, or they founded their own? They founded their own. All right. And uh, there was a bit in one of the later seasons, and I wish they'd done more with this, because the setup was so exciting, where Gaius Baltar, the biggest traitor to the human race, uh, he's he's with the Cylons. He's allied himself with them. Uh, but he's starting to get kind of on the outs, and he's such a, a self-serving piece of crap, uh, that he's starting to hang out with the grunts, you know, the little, the silver ones that have no personality of their own. Oh yeah the, the, yeah, the the ones that look like toasters. Yeah, the ones that have like the lights yeah. across their eyes, like Night Rider. And uh, there's this whole bit where he's just talking to them for once. Uh-huh. And it's just this bit freaked me out when I saw it. And it was just like, oh yes, yes, their god is uh, the one responsible for all of these uh, ones of your kind that have been destroyed. And the the silent kind of just turns to him slightly and he says. Don't tell me they never told you about God. And then the silent goes, huh? And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be some trouble. And it, it oh, didn't pan out as much as it could have. Oh, but man, that was bad. such a great moment. Holy Ooh. shit. Uh, so uh, I do like the Borg. Uh, mm. Where the way they're treated in Q Who and the way they're treated in this episode, mm-hmm. um, specifically the first part. Yeah, the second uh, part we find out more, but. Uh, but yeah, this idea that um, that they cannot be reasoned with, that they are yeah. sort of complete the way they are. Um, yeah. And one of their new goals, however, and they never really explain this, I'm glad they don't, is they decide they need a human voice. Mm-hmm. They need to speak to people more. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what their thinking is, mm-hmm. but they decided they needed like a recognizable face to assi- like help assimilate others. I yeah. think their thinking was, mm-hmm. in a very machine-like way, that if a friendly face was approaching uh, Earth, mm-hmm. that... There would be a tactical this, advantage. Well, a tactical advantage, more than anything, like, they thought... It, it's like, um... If, if the Swamp Thing, like, put on a hat and thought it could disguise <laughs> as, as somebody, it's like, uh... Well, it's like, well, it's like, it's like the aliens in V. We're reptile yeah. aliens who eat cats, but yeah. we'll put on a human face... For you. Exactly. We're, yeah. we're going to put on a human face and that'll let us in. To, like, we'll be able to walk, just waltz right up to Earth mm. and assimilate them. Yeah. Not really acknowledging that it's like now robot man with like yeah. all this machinery sticking out of his face. Well, what they, because what they do is when the Enterprise shows up, they find out that the Borg don't want them destroyed. They want Picard, mm. which is weird. And indeed, very quickly, they uh, steal Picard. They, they mm. perform a raid on the ship and beam okay. him over to the Borg cube. Quite, quite quickly and handily. Oh, yeah, very too. quickly. Very, very suddenly. The, the one that really scared me as a kid, there's a, mm. a Borg that has this appliance across its mouth. Yeah, it's really that, freaky That looking. one really scared me. Yeah, it looked like the Immortan Joe. Um, but uh, they, they kidnap Picard, and there's initially, like, they, they send out an away team to try to rescue him, but... And they found his uniform in a drawer. Which, which is, is kind of really, weird. Really creepy, yeah. You keep it in a drawer? What? You, you gonna need that later, Borg? Oh, yeah, Put that in the furnace. You're not going to need it. Like, <laughs> just see there's Borg shoveling Borg's coal. Like, in the Borg's thing. like, we'll save that for later for our trophy room. Oh, wait, we're Borg. We don't have we don't that. Have uh, I'm still learning. Sorry, guys. Um, they kidnap uh, uh, Picard. And I, I imagine that the initial plan mm-hmm. was very, very simple. Kidnap the captain of a ship. 
Make him a Borg. We know everything that captain knows. And now we can have a an even mm. easier path to destroying the Federation. It's true. They, I, they assimilate him. They have all of his knowledge. Yeah. But what we realize is that when they assimilate Picard, Picard is such a strong personality mm-hmm. that Picard isn't easy to assimilate. Hmm. And we see even there's a bit where they like they have him on the, the table and they're screwing all these appliances into him. Wow. And we see him crying. Like yeah, they, they they put this thing up to his skin and like they drain all of his pigment. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as as like they like they replaced all of his blood with coolant or something. Yeah, and as as they're sort of like locking these things onto his mm. body. Yeah, we get to see there's a close up of, of Patrick Stewart's eye and there's a single tear. Yeah. Like the last bit of his humanity is and, gone. And this is really important later because it means that Picard was plugged into the Borg when they were plugged into him. Mm. It's also entirely possible that it wasn't so much about uh, well, our original plan was to try to create a spokesperson so that we could communicate more with the humans it might have been we were trying to kidnap picard so that we could get all the information he has and now that he's plugged into us he's such a good diplomat that now we want one of those (laughs) all right you know like we see that there's some value in it and actually having being able to communicate directly Mm -hmm. uh because that's the thing picard has more than anyone else greatest diplomat in the galaxy yeah. In fact, he tries to negotiate. There's a, a yeah. scene where he's talking to the collective. Yeah. And uh, they say some Borg uh, <clears throat> drones, I guess, uh, bring him over to this balcony and they just have him look over this big empty space. It's nothing there. Yeah. And just except for all of the other Borgs that have been assimilated and they all speak together. It's like, you're, you are going to be assimilated and, and be one of ourselves. And, and Picard stands up for himself. It's like, no, we don't do that. Individuality is important to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the Borg in that creepy mechanical voice is things like individuality is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. So we will resist you. Resistance is futile. That's where the, the, this comes yeah. from. They repeat that line a lot. Yeah, I think they said and, it in Q Who as well, didn't they? I think you think so. Yeah, you but they repeat it over and over. Resistance again. is futile. Yeah, but they talk uh, and, about irrelevancy and futility and uh, all these and things the, uh, that we value that we don't. The, the we one that sent uh, the one that sent chills down my spine was when uh, he says, "You know, you can assimilate us, but we would rather die." And the voice says, "Death is irrelevant." <laughs> it's like holy shit! Yeah, like, their life and death mean nothing to this machine. Yeah, uh, I really wish. And this was a pretty big budget episode. But yeah, they, they, spent, they spent money on this. When so. they introduced the Borg, I really wish they had like modern cinema cinema money to do like yeah. sort of the HR Giger thing they clearly wanted to do. Yeah, like really like have like, like a lot over of cool design it. Yeah, yeah, cool moving parts and like. Uh, bio organic, like uh, uh, what is it? What is it? Techno organics. Yeah, bio- you know, bi- like, biomechanical it, stuff. The yeah. Borg. If they did the Borg today, like they did, like the J.J. Abrams verse did the Borg. Yeah, the Borg would probably look pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't even complain as long as they have like the same basic kind of vibe. Yeah, I would be fine with changing the Borg mm-hmm. and making them look a little. A little less clunky. Yeah, and in, in first contact, they tried to do that, but yeah. they made them like, like really kind of sweaty and animal and malevolent. Like they stalked around and had angry yeah. expressions. Uh, uh, I, I imagine being on a Borg ship would be very, very cold because they're yeah. mechanical. Yeah, and they they have mm. there's no color there, so you would think, yeah, it would be like being in the vacuum of space. It'd be yeah. that cold like that. And then in first contact, they say that Borg ships are like uh, hotter than a human body. They're like ninety nine degrees. Mm. So I guess it's more like being yeah, like, in like in a furnace. Well, I, I was <clears throat> I was going to say more like in uh, like a computer room where all, all of like computer servers are stored. And those tend yeah. to be like well, pretty warm. There's also things about like how like okay, well we have to constantly maintain our dilithium crystals or else mm. they'll get too hot. Okay, we're Borg. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like whatever. Who cares? Do it. Uh, um, anyway, uh, 
Picard is kidnapped. Yeah. He gets assimilated. Uh, Riker uh, has to, it takes him a few scenes to realize that he is effectively now the captain. Yeah. And in fact, it's Troy who says to him, you're captain now. You have to. It's like, I'm, I'm going to lead the away team. No, you're in command. You form the away team and you stay here. Yeah. That's the way that's supposed to work now. And yeah. that's and like sort of like the moment for Riker when he realizes that my career has real. finally changed. Yeah, this is, this is, this is really happening. Picard disappeared so suddenly and so almost anticlimactically that it's taking them a long time to really process. And this is a huge thing that happens in the second half of the episode mm. where Riker has to deal with the fact that Picard is really gone, at least yeah. as far as he knows. Um, so, yeah, Riker is, Riker is in charge. And while they can, they send an away team to the Borg Cube, which the Borg Cube is fine with. They feel no threat whatsoever from the fact. Beam yourselves up. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Beam yourselves over. Do do it. Do what thou wilt. <laughs> Give it a try. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll scratch us and we'll feel itchy. And that's when they come up with one of their adorable Star Trek little metaphors, oh, where we're well, going to do something really complicated, but we're going to find a way to make it folksy. Yeah, they they talk about this when they spoofed it on uh, Futurama, mm. where uh, they they come up with some really elaborate technical explanation for what they're about to do and then they come up with like a cheap metaphor yeah so that the people at home <coughs> who can't follow the jargon mm. uh can can grasp it and that makes sense mm. it, it's when done well it's fine it's just a trope that you, you can't take a drink every time they do it or yeah. you finish your drink every time they use and a folksy uh, metaphor and in this and one and it's, it's uh, uh dr crusher says it yeah this one it's like the idea is we're the borg see us as like no more inconvenient to them like than a mosquito mm. and Crusher's like yeah but a mosquito can distract you oh so we have to think like him instead of trying to punch it in the face we gotta think like a mosquito and we gotta distract them by biting yeah and so they find a way to like blow, if we blow if we, up these little nodes throughout yeah. the ship you know like in video <laughs> games where like you know the bad guy just is like zero self awareness and just lets all of his weak parts glow on their on their back, <laughs> like shoot it in the big red glowing thing right in the middle of its forehead. That's how you know the bad guy has no friends because the friends would have told them you you should like put a coat on <laughs> or something. You know you should hide that. Like you're just asking to get your butt whooped. So they uh, they pull off a big distraction or whatever, and they're able to you know potentially get off their big destructo move but should we do it or should we try to save Picard and that's when Picard shows up and they hail the the Enterprise and Picard says I am Locutus of Borg also we have names now we'll deal with that much later Uh, and uh, yeah you will be assimilated and that's when Riker tells Worf fire like just blow the fucking thing up kill Picard if you have to they've developed their their yeah uh, we talked about that deflector dish weapon. And it's finally ready. Yeah. So it's like, well, that that's sort of like our hail mary pass. We're yeah. gonna try this, and it might blow up the board. But but if we blow up the board, we blow up a card, and we don't want to do that. Yeah. And that's big. That's Riker's big captain moment. Ah. Uh, if necessary, I will kill Picard in yeah. order to save the Federation, he says, and he makes that choice. He says, Mister Worf. Fire the cam the camera like pushes in on him yeah. super dramatic like lot, big good music in this episode too very like kind of military music and yeah. like those strikes dun 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 and it fades out mm. it says to be continued and you cry and you wail and you storm around the house and yeah. you say it's gonna be months before I figure out how that's gonna figure it and it was resolve months. itself it was months and and I love this I kudos to every writer who who does this to themselves and finds a way out. They had no idea how that was going to resolve. No, no, it was, no. Not, it was not planned. They were just like, "We're going to build this big epic thing." Again, Michael Pillar thought he might leave. 
Uh-huh. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you guys figure it out. And Michael Pillar decided to stay, and then he's like, oh, shit, now i got to figure so, out how yeah. to defi-. The whole point, we spent a season and a half talking about how the Borg cannot be, cannot be defeated, and now I have to figure out a way to defeat them in one episode that feels fair. <laughs> like, that doesn't feel like we just pulled it out of our butts. And I did not plan for that. Oh, shit. So, yeah, part one uh, aired in mid-June yeah. of uh, 1990. Uh, part two didn't air until late September. Yeah. That was the longest damn summer, I tell you. P- people, you know... And, and, and you know what? It got worse. Mm. Because uh, the way it used uh, Star Trek used to air, uh, here in Los Angeles it aired on KCOP, Channel 13. Yeah. Which was not affiliated at the time. No, it was all syndication. And... Uh, what they would do is they would rerun episodes in order. Mm. So if you missed something around, you knew what was coming around the next time. It's like, yeah. well, I missed that one, so I'll just wait until the gap in the in the schedule is. Yeah, there were, there were no DVRs. <clears throat> there was no streaming on demand. Mm. Some episodes were released on home video, but not as quickly mm. as that. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted to catch up, if you missed it, you had to schedule your summer around that rewatch. Yeah. So when you're re when you're watching the reruns, you know, going through the episodes the second time, it's like. You're kind of filling in the gap, trying to get your heart beating again, because mm-hmm. just to distract yourself from the fact that this story hasn't concluded yet. And you're watching, and you're watching, and you're watching, and you know mm-hmm. that by the time you get to the end of the season, they're finally concluded. Mm-hmm. And you can't help but look at Picard and all those reruns saying, this is going to go so bad. Yeah. Like, it, watching reruns somehow ratcheted up the tension that you knew something bad was going to happen. Yeah, and I remember, like, again, I, I was <clears throat> young, but I remember... <clears throat> on the playground literally oh. on the playground I think it was in like the fifth grade or something when this came out uh, there was talk like mm. you guys gonna watch Star Trek this weekend what the hell's gonna happen <laughs> you can't and, do that can yeah, they do that I, I, I turned 12 uh, that summer so oh, um, I, which meant uh, you know when I started school the next September it was a new school I was in junior high for the first oh, yeah. time so there wasn't a lot of gossip, unfortunately. I couldn't, like, run theories past my buddies. You had to figure was, out who was a Star had, Trek had, nerd before you could even ask. I had, you know, I would all, all, was already out of elementary school and was going into a brand new school. And, yeah, mm. it's like, I want to be a Star Trek nerd, but I'm 12. I'm cool. Yeah. I don't know what who I want to say that to. But at uh, the same time, this was the moment when Star Trek Next Generation went, like, really mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like, this this cliffhanger got people talking. It was, uh, yeah, it was uh, talked uh, about in the media a it lot. Was, it was a hit show. Uh, yeah. It was really big. Um, you and I even talked about uh, the episode of Reading Rainbow yeah. uh, with uh, LeVar Burton, because LeVar Burton was hosting Reading Rainbow, and yeah, he took uh, the cameras behind the scenes of Next Generation. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's how the transporter effect works, mm-hmm. and be sure to read science fiction. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it was known. Oh, it was uh, and, known? And not, not j- I think it was around this time, though, that it emerged as its own entity. That's what I meant. Beyond uh, the original series. There was, uh, if you remember, there was a joke in Wayne's World where he was like, it's almost like Star Trek The Next Generation, in many ways superior, but it will never be as respected as the original. Mm -hmm. And then Best of Both Worlds comes out and it's like, yeah, it will be actually. It'll be fine. uh, He made the joke a couple years after Best of Both Worlds. Yeah, but but my point is that 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 attitude was rather prevalent for a while. Although we may like Next Generation in, it's no original series. In, in many ways, it's superior. So, yeah. yeah, but you look at Best of Both Worlds, and it's like this show has become its own thing. Mm. This did not happen 
on the original series. First off, they didn't have two-parters, except for Menagerie, which is a weird... Which is kind of a one-parter, where they just reuse yeah. the, the original yeah. pilot. Yeah, uh, Menagerie, whereas uh, there, was a, there was an original... Pi- for those who may be new to the show and haven't been following Star Trek as much as we have, the original pilot for Star Trek was not used. They uh, actually recast... A whole bunch of characters and changed all, the all whole... of them but one. In fact, Spock yeah. was the only holdover. Yeah, although some of them would eventually come back, and now they're on the show Strange New Worlds. They're like they're canon. Uh, they completely retooled it. They threw that episode out, but it was such an expensive episode that they found a way to turn it into a flashback episode yeah. of the original series. But because they had to incorporate all the new characters and the whole original oh. episode, there was a two parter. You know what I learned recently? Oh, yeah? um, I recently watched for the first time. I hadn't seen it before. Mm. Uh, Ted V. Michaels, uh, 1970s cult movie, the corpse grinders. Mm. Uh, have you seen the corpse grinders? Yeah, I've seen the corpse. Okay. Grinders. Yeah. It's, it's amazing about, uh, title. Yeah. The corpse grinders <laughs> is yeah. about uh, a pet food company that's hired. Uh, uh, cemetery workers to dig up corpses so they can feed them into a grinding machine and use it as pet food. And, and uh, the, the and, story and, kicks then, off because like all the cats start the cats eating are, their are, owners. They're eating human meat, and now they're yeah they're they have a, developed a taste for human flesh. So yeah. cats are attacking people. Don't get any ideas, Dante. I see don't, you over there, buddy. Don't feed him human flesh; he'll be fine. I'm not doing it on purpose. Uh, the uh, and it's being investigated by a doctor who's sort of mm. seeing the victims and the corpses are coming in and this lascivious doctor and his nurse are kind of the main characters. That lascivious doctor didn't have a really big acting career, but he was uh, burnt up Pike in uh, the oh. the one in the, the wheelchair. Yeah, well, they're not um, Jeffrey Hunter. Not Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah, the, the one not Anson Mount yeah. either. But yeah, yeah. He, he played. Oh, that's he, fun. he was also on Star Trek. He played Pike. That's cool. And he went on to be in the Corpse Grinders a couple of years later. Ah, oh, the Corpse Grinders. Ted V. Michaels made a sequel too, like in 2006 or something. Yeah, yeah because because of all the demand. Yeah, everybody wants to see a sequel to the Corpse Grinders. <laughs> Um, I recently got a Ted V. Michaels box set. It's got like Blood Orgy of the She Devils nice. and uh, just a bunch of his cool stuff. The uh, the when we finally get to the Best of Both Worlds Part Two, uh, it opens with something, and I don't think anyone else is going to notice or give a shit about this. But it opens with something that made my brain go, "Hmm, I'm curious." Hmm. A lot of shows when they say previously on Lost or Twenty Four or yeah. whatever, um, a, an actor from the show will say it. Hmm. Uh, and although it's breaking the fourth wall, the implication is that the character in the show is kind of telling you what, what you missed. Yeah. Uh, the person who says previously on Star Trek, which again, we didn't get. Yeah. Was Majel Barrett. It, it was specifically the computer voice. I was about to say, that's yeah. my question is because it's clearly not Loaxana Droid. She's not there for any of this, uh-huh. which means that the computer is giving us all of this information, which means we're seeing the historical files a la Galaxy uh, Quest or a la the final episode of Enterprise. And they, Sure. Yes, so, they, yeah. so we're actually watching a holographic simulation after well, the fact. I mean, if you think about it, they all open with Captain's Log. Well, here's... Uh, this is this is like reading like the Voyage of the Beagle. This is like reading about what happened mm-hmm. on a voyage we didn't get to go on. Uh, I I wrote about this recently over on Slash Film. Um, everybody on everything that happens on the Enterprise mm-hmm. in Next Generation and in the original series is so significant. They have weekly mm-hmm. adventures. Yeah. Uh, that eventually those events become known by other characters. Yeah. So, uh, celebrity and mm-hmm. esteem are currency in this universe. 
being kind of yeah being yeah. recognized and being able to uh, sort of be helpful in a societal sort mm-hmm. of way because there's no money. Well, there are people who have a reputation that precedes them, certainly. Yeah, and you'll see this. Uh, it's why there are so many evil admirals on Star Trek. Yeah, uh, they their careers have stagnated. They feel like they need to do something, so they do something really wild and dangerous, something kind of villainous. I need to militarize Starfleet. I need yeah. to invent drones in Starfleet, mm-hmm. and, and of course, all of these things always go tits up. But um, uh, it it kind of it's cool that uh, characters on Star Trek essentially need to watch Star Trek <laughs> as part of Starfleet Academy. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, I feel like that cheapens sort of the the variety of what I assumed the universe was. I thought every star starship, or mm-hmm. at least many of them, mm-hmm. were going out there and having big wild adventures all the time. Yeah. That the Enterprise is the only one that gets to do that makes it seem a little too insular. Uh, well, here's what I'm going to say. Now, to when that. it comes to a big episode like Best of Both Worlds, that's okay. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Agreed. But here's what I'm going to say to that. Mm. Here's what I'm going to say to that, because I see your point. Mm. Uh, however, there's, there, I think there's there's two other ways to look into that that maybe you're, you might mitigate it. Uh, it's not so much that the tales of the Enterprise are being told around campfires. Oh. It's the news. <clears throat> yeah. This is the daily news. This is the, 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 you know, this is what you get when you open up CNN in the future. Mm. It's just like, oh, here's what the Enterprise did, and here's what the Melbourne did, and so on and so forth. But as the flagship of the, uh, of the Federation, the Enterprise tends to be more at the forefront of the big stuff. The other thing is, other ships might be doing crazy shit all the time as well. Yeah. We're not on those ships. That's fine. That's like, uh, there's this whole like idea that um, Batman, because he's so grounded, you know, Uh. that realistic Batman, uh, doesn't belong in the same universe as Superman. Like, we should keep the Matt Reeves Batman Hmm. out of all of that super-powered stuff. Yeah, because it's a a crime story. Because it's a crime story. And and tonally... I see you have a point. Mm-hmm. However, if we accept that all these things take place in the same universe, then we have to accept that different kinds of stuff happen simultaneously. For example, right now, Whitney Seibold and I are recording a podcast in an apartment about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Pretty mild stuff, all things considered. There's also a war going on. There's yeah. also like incredibly like uh, 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 virulent politics that are being put forward. Uh, there's violence in the world. There's love. People are falling in love. People are getting married right now. People are being born right now. Volcanoes are exploding for all I know. All this shit happens simultaneously. It's just a matter of where you are. So it might seem like the enterprise is the center of the universe. That's probably because we're on the enterprise. Hmm. And if we were anywhere else, there's probably... And this is something I've always wanted. I would have liked to have seen more Star Trek about not the center of the, of, the, of Starfleet. Yeah. Well, about, and and we, we finally have gotten some of that. We, we wouldn't get that until Lower Decks. Not consistently, like anyway. Yeah, like, that's yeah. specifically about a ship that mm-hmm. gets less prestigious work. But honestly, I want to see what's going... I, I want more shows that are dedicated to stuff that... Isn't even Starfleet related. There's got to be other stuff. Well, the, what if we had a show that was entirely set on Klingon? Here, here's or, or Kronos, a Kronos, I guess. Kronos. Here, here's yeah. uh, here's an issue. Uh, when it comes to what's not happening in Starfleet, mm-hmm. the world of Star Trek is actually incredibly nebulous. Yeah. We don't really full of nebulous. Ne- yeah, you get to fly out in the horsehead nebulous. 
Aren't you clever? It's a nebula in this episode. Point being, uh, there, there's no sort of like vital center or ethos for uh, non-military shows mm-hmm. in Star Trek. They've tried to do it with uh, Picard a little bit. Yeah, but even but, that gets really actiony and violent. It gets actiony and violent, and then uh, there's a scene in the first season of Picard where they go to a city called Free Cloud, and it's Blade Runner. Yeah, it's like they didn't really think out what the world of Star Trek was supposed to look like mm. outside of a starship. And well, I think that I think when you're going to make a Star Trek show, mm-hmm. those are kind of vital elements because that's where we get to see all of the action happening. Well, it's I think that's that's tricky through because the eyes of this organization. I think it's tricky because we got a whole galaxy full of different species and cultures. So mm. one planet is not going to represent all of it, nor or at least it shouldn't. Yeah, I remember. Um, did you ever read? Um, what was it like? My substitute teacher is an alien. You ever read those oh. books when you were a kid? No, I, I read one called Substitute Creature. No, hold on, it is an alien. I want to make sure I get this uh, right. Uh, yeah, my teacher is an alien. Uh, was a series of books uh, that were written by some person, Bruce Coville. Okay. Bruce Coville also wrote like another group of uh, books that was about like a little kid who had uh, teamed up with like a group of aliens and. Joined them on various adventures and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a scene I always liked in that story. I read it when I was a kid, and it really imprinted on me because it changed the way I thought about sci-fi. Because it made me realize that just what I see isn't all there is to it. Uh-huh. And so there's a bit where they're walking through a swamp, and one of the aliens says, Ah, oh, it reminds me of home. And the kid says, Oh, do you come from a swamp planet? And the alien's like, do you come from a swamp planet? And the kid's like, oh, yeah, I guess planets would have multiple ecosystems, wouldn't they? <laughs> so, like, just because one city on this planet is Blade Runner doesn't mean another city isn't Century City or... Uh, I understand or, that. Like, or, I don't I'm know, not asking for... Springfield. I'm not asking for uniformity, but I am asking for at least something distinct. Uh, yeah. And what we've seen in Star Trek outside of Starfleet is just the sort of bouillabaisse of various sci-fi cliches. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is, like, whenever they go to the criminal underworld in Star Trek, uh-huh. it's the Mos Eisley Cantina. It's just yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and Mos Eisley was, was just Rick's Cafe American from Casablanca. Exactly. Creatures, so, yeah. So, yeah, they, they, I feel like they haven't given a lot of thought to that in Star Trek. Yeah, I'd say maybe we're overdue. Maybe there should be a show that more focuses on, at least, you know, full of corners, well, you know? Occasionally we'd get, like, a hint of what, like, a relative of a character would do. Like, uh, Captain yeah. Sisko's dad yeah. runs a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, and he runs a, it's a Creole restaurant. I think it's in New Orleans. And uh, If memory serves you. And, and, and he's played by Buck Peters. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> So we, we know that there's restaurants in the future. Yeah. We know that Picard's family runs a vineyard. That's right. Yeah. So we know there's like people have interests that they're pursuing. But yeah, like they don't what, have to be in Starfleet to do stuff. When we go into like cities and urban centers and in Starfleet, they're like the most boring things to look at. Yeah. Because they look just like future cities. Well, and again, they're not spending that. Well, it's also, again, we're mostly working on TV budgets here. Yeah. You spend the most amount of money on the sets you're going to use over and over again. Yeah. yeah. That's the other thing. Um. So I, I think Star Trek works best when we're de- looking at the galaxy in microcosm. Mm. That's so our minds can it can hold it. Yeah, if, fair if we're looking at all too much, then we're just going to lose lose sight of the ball. Anyway, uh, it's been months. You've been waiting to see how this damn thing is going to resolve. Mm. Picard has become Locutus of Borg, which is something they won't even properly explain until first contact because <laughs> they don't have names. <laughs> they have numbers at best. Um and Riker has decided 
Picard is a lost cause. We have to do what we can and destroy the Borg now and save humanity and the Federation. So he says, fire. Mm. And then they charge up that really big beam from that really big like hole at the bottom of the Enterprise that they don't usually the, get a lot of... The main deflector the, dish. Oh, who cares? It's the big hole at the bottom. It, it lets them steer the ship. It's the big eye at the uh, bottom of the ship. It's the thing that maps out where they're going. Uh-huh. I can make up stuff, too. So uh, Look, I read that tech man. Hey, I'm saying they made it up. You're telling me they didn't? You're telling me that's real? It's all, it's all imaginary. Too. Okay, it's what I'm saying. They, the, the big thing at the front of the ship, and they shoot out stuff at the Borg, and the Borg are like, and... Scratch, scratch. Oh, some you say yeah. something? And they does, realize does nothing, very quickly. No damage. It does nothing. All of that. It does nothing. And that's when they realize, oh, wait, Picard knew about that. Uh, and now the Borg knew about that. Hmm. And now they knew everything Picard knows. And Picard taught us everything we know. And we are so screwed. Hmm. We are so deeply, deeply hmm. screwed. They, they, they have to run. Yeah. They run from the Borg cube. And what I like about the Borg cube is. It doesn't need to steer. Mm-hmm. Like they fly off in one direction and the Borg will just sort of drift in that direction. It's a yeah. cube. It doesn't have a front. Yeah. It doesn't even have a visible means of propulsion. Yeah. 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 So the Borg cube, just the, the, the Enterprise is going that way. We don't, we're not really worried about them. We're trying mm-hmm. to get to Earth. So they go straight to Earth and they contact the Admiral. The Admiral, by the way, same guy who played God in Star Trek V. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, uh, they, the Admiral says, okay, well, uh, you guys have repairs to do. You're going to get here after the rest of us, but all of the ships in this and Federation are going to meet and they're going to intercept the Borg and mm. we're going to do the best we can. And, yeah. uh, we'll see you on the field of battle. And when they finally get all the repairs done and get there, it's this awesome shot of nothing but exploded <laughs> ships. It's like those damage. And it's honestly, uh, it's Wolf, a Wolf 359 is the site of that battle. Mm-hmm. Real, we'll talk real about start. it a lot. Yeah. Real start. It's actually pretty close to earth. All things right. considered. Um, that's a great way to save money because you want to do this big battle where the Borg fights all of these Federation ships, a mm. kind of image we won't really get until Deep Space Nine. Well, I guess first, first contact, contact yeah. and then Deep Space Nine will do it too. Um, but they don't have the money for that. They have more money for this episode than usual, but they don't have the money for that. But they managed to evoke it and also make it tragic and also really cement how screwed the Enterprise is by just having the Enterprise show up and seeing all of the corpses. Mm. Just all of these giant ships that have just been absolutely obliterated. My favorite ships, besides the Enterprise in this episode, mm-hmm. there's one bit where we cut to the Borg ship as it's getting closer to Earth, and we see two ships like fly directly towards the Borg cube, and the Borg just goes pew pew, and they just oh. explode. And I think to myself, what was their plan? Oh, well, those, those weren't manned. The, those those were uh, the automated Mars defense program. They they said. Did they say that? Yeah. The, okay. It's addressed in dialogue. There's, okay. there's no, people are like flying these little teeny ships. <laughs> Let's get them, guys! <laughs> I was like, I felt really bad for those guys. I appreciate like, your moxie, but you will not be remembered. Th- three ships full of ambitious young Wesleys. <laughs> we can really get them, guys. Speaking of Wesley, there's a good moment in this episode. It's not really a Wesley moment, but it is a Wesley moment. They're on the they're, they're in the ready room and they're all talking about ideas. What can we uh, do? Well, that didn't work. How yeah. do we destroy them? And they're talking about ideas for how to destroy them. And at, at this point, I was thinking to myself, what does the Enterprise have? What does the crew of the Enterprise have that the Borg doesn't? Hmm. And it occurred to me, and this isn't what they came up with, but kind of, they, they do address it. They know this sector. Hmm. They have met so many bizarre things here. So many strange phenomena uh-huh. that they could maybe steer the Borg into. 
so many godlike beings they could ask a favor from because Q <laughs> probably won't do shit. But I did make a small list of like things they could have possibly conceived of in order to in, in order to actually ne- do something. nearby stuff. Yeah, hold on, where did I put it? Okay, so in addition to Q, uh, they could have tried to uh, steer the cube into the crystalline entity. Uh, well, they don't know where it is. They don't know where it is. They could try to find it. All right. Have, well, they, have they really been trying? What, what's to say the Borg wouldn't assimilate the crystalline entity? No, we don't. It could distract it. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, you could uh, use the Matter Eater uh, stuff from the Barclay episode. You could introduce oh, yeah. that onto the Borg ship and just have it start eating away at the Borg ship. At the very least, it'll take them some time to figure out what's wrong. Uh... You could use some of the weapons from the Arsenal of Freedom episode. Oh, that's true. Well, they left those on the planet. They, they never said go, they equipped go the back. ship. Yeah. Go back. They're right there. Those uh, things adapt as well. Wh- I'm just saying, we're talking about buying time. Buying time is also a strategy here. Um, like you, okay, how do we outwit this artificial intelligence that's like super brilliant and can think its way out of any situation? If only we had a Moriarty... <laughs> See that would have been kind of cool, like just oh. sick Mori- like Moriarty. What should we do? Well, I remember when I was fighting Sherlock Holmes. That that cad. How many horses do you have yeah. on the ship? <laughs> uh, you could try to steer it into Nagilum's space. <laughs> Nagilum's like, oh, I haven't seen these before, and the Borg's like, what the fuck is that? Ah! Um, you got plenty of unstable wormholes. You could try to steer it into. Well, you, uh, you keep on saying, like, steering a Borg ship is yeah. something that you could do. Well, they, it's chased They're, them before. It's chased them, but it's not going like, to fly into a wormhole. I'm just saying, it, you know I, what? I think I'm, they're smarter than I'm that. I'm thinking outside the box, okay? okay? There, the one, there's uh, going to be a, an episode later. Mm-hmm. It's called, called iBorg. Mm-hmm. It's an episode I like and an episode I actually really dislike. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, where they, they find a single, uh, single Borg, yeah. a single entity of the Borg, and... Uh, in being separated from a cube, it starts to think for itself. Starts like, to reclaim its individuality. Yeah, like yeah. its brain starts to grow back. So yeah. assimilation is like less than permanent, which mm. that, that's the element I don't like. Eventually we'll get but, to uh, that with the main character with Seven of Nine. They uh, they eventually find that they could like implant like something in uh, that Borg's brain. A virus. Uh, well, it's not really a computer kind of a virus. virus. It's it's sort of like a logic problem. Yeah. And they put it in his brain and they give it to the Borg. And the idea is it's unsolvable, but because the Borg are so mechanical, mm. they'll just have to keep on working on it mm. until they blow up. Like, yeah. it would just take up too much of their brain space to solve this impossible, it's functionally paradoxical yeah. logic problem. And it's it's actually like a 3D shape. Mm. Like, it's impossible 3D shape. But the moral quandary but, is now we realize that the Borg aren't necessarily... Yeah. Uh, uh, well, they, they have some... They, they might be able we, to be redeemed. Yeah, we, we've, we, we can value their life. Um, yeah, so can we commit what would be genocide? That's the moral problem. Uh, yeah. The issue is... How, how is a logic problem mm-hmm. going to uh, explode a Borg ship? Surely they wouldn't devote all of their resources mm-hmm. into solving this logic problem. Mm-hmm. That would be like telling them to figure out uh, the square root of two. Yeah. It's like, figure that Eventually out. Eventually well, they're going to realize this is like, this cannot be completed like, and we'll, we'll move on with our lives. It's like, we, we've calculated pi to like 40 billion decimal places. That's good enough for us. Yeah, they're probably or not going to yeah. maybe there's one Borg. <clears throat> like, one Borg on the ship that is just constantly calculating out pi. That's its yeah. job. Yeah. That's all it's ever going to do. Uh... Fair enough. Anyway, two two more ideas I had, and the last one's relevant. Right. Uh, we could talk to the Transfigurations guy. Oh, yeah, he turned into a god and flew yeah. off. He can cure the dead. Surely he could cure some of the Borg. Maybe so. It would have been worth a shot, right? 
Uh, and then my last idea, which I'm very pleased that they actually brought up, because mm-hmm. as much as Trek is uh, uh, based on continuity, they don't tend to go back to stuff from previous episodes very often. Yeah. Uh, and they mentioned this. Remember when we had nanobots that were taking over the ship that yeah. Wesley invented in his spare time? Uh-huh. We could use those. Yeah, and they, they bring fly, up the nanites. They bring yeah. up. We, we could create more nanites and we can introduce them to the Borg ship. And they're like, well, how long would that take? A few weeks. And it's like, well, we don't have that time. Yeah, <laughs> we have to destroy them today. Still a good idea, though. And I'm glad someone brought it up. I was mm. like, I was starting to get annoyed. Like, you have so many things. Even if you don't, even if you agree that some of those ideas, and this is just me watching yeah. an episode of TV. Even if you agree that some of those are bad ideas. At least some of them are outside the box. We something we could consider, mm. and maybe Jordy could find a way to make it work. You'd like, uh, you'd like the the Star Trek novels because that yeah. that same novel Vendetta, mm. where they uh, where they assimilated the Ferengi. Yeah, the the Borg go up against that planet eating thing from the Doomsday Machine. You mean the, the original, Doomsday Machine? The Doomsday Machine from yeah. the original series. Yeah, like somebody has one of those, and they're <laughs> flying it around. Cool. Yeah. I love it. So if you want to see the Borg go up against one of those, it happens yeah. in, in one of the novels. So yeah, they're trying to figure out a way to stop the stop the good old Borg. But uh, the big thing going on for a lot of the episode, because the Enterprise is repairing itself. It has, mm-hmm. not not like all by itself, like the Christine, but like, you know, they, they have to stay out of the, the war for a little bit while they go through some repairs. And this gives everyone a lot of time to do character building. Yes. Especially Riker. This, because, is, this is when Riker gets to talk to Guinan. Yeah. Because... And, uh, there's this meeting where Riker is just like, I know I'm not Picard, and I know I oh, we all wish Picard would be here to say something really, really great. I know I'd like to hear it. Uh, anyway, bye. And I'm like, well, that's not very good captaining. And then Guinan shows... There's actually a good moment where he goes into Picard's former office, and he looks uh, at Picard's chair, and he says, what would you do? Yeah, just to the empty chair. And yeah. that's when Guinan shows up, and she's like, hey, I talked to captains, and they let me. And mm-hmm. Riker's like, we don't have that kind of relationship. He's like, well, we should. Anyway, let's talk. <laughs> Well, she's the captain's confidant, so she yeah. knows a little bit about what command is. Mm-hmm. And we also hopes that she's basically immortal. She, yeah, she's. We don't know how old she is. Mm-hmm. She could have been a Starfleet captain, probably not, or starship captain at some point in her her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll learn later in Star Trek Picard that she was destined to be a bartender. Mm-hmm. That's all she's ever been is a bartender, because that's all the writers of the new Star Trek knew about her was that she was a bartender. It's a bit bummer. She lived on Earth in twenty twenty four. And opened a bar on Forward Street, mm-hmm. address 10, 10 Forward. That's stupid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's one thing if she's still a bartender and that's just what she does. That's fine. Yeah. The, the 10 Forward thing's a little... A little that, that, that goes also, beyond being a cute shout-out. That's just mm. kind of silly. Also, she's played by a different actress. It's not mm, Bobby yeah, Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, much younger actress. Sure. The idea is, like, this is gotten yeah. gotten when she was younger, which is fine. Yeah. But uh, in Next Generation, we saw that she was already Whoopi Goldberg and hanging out with, like, Mark Twain a century prior. Yeah, but you, at that point, come on. <laughs> I mean, at that point, what are you going to fucking do? I, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with recasting people when necessary. I think uh, it's fine. Here's what you do. Don't have Guinan in the show. <laughs> I understand. Listen, dude, I, I haven't even seen that show. Yeah. I have not that far. I've Again, he's seen a lot more Star Trek than I have. Yeah. That one that one I had to take your word on, but in any case... Um, Guinan goes up to Riker and says, hey, you know what your fucking problem is? And Riker's like, this is a great way to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. Tell me. And she says, um, you haven't let Picard go. And he's like, he just vanished. Like, yeah, I know. And that's not something that's you not can... That's not the job of a captain. And, you can't just sort yeah. of 
real for a little bit. It, you got to start making decisions right away. It would be easier for you if he had died because that mm. would at least be final. But he didn't. And now he's gone. And he's like, yeah, I tried to kill him. It's like, no, you tried to kill a Borg that was taking over his body. You're still letting Picard in all of these rooms. You're letting him yeah. into the meetings. And you need to do what Riker would do. Mm. And Riker realizes that that's the key to defeating Picard. Because he does things differently yeah. than Picard. He needs to do what Picard wouldn't do. And he do what Riker would do. Such an excellent Riker arc. I love it. Because I it, love it, it plays into the main story. Uh, when Riker gets to be a captain in a good episode, it's so fucking great. When he got to take over a Klingon vessel... That was great. That was a great fucking episode. Yeah. When they did the war games at the end of season, uh, at the end of season two, oh, peak performance. Yeah, yeah uh, great. Uh huh. Fucking great. Like, I love. I like that. I like peak performance a yeah, lot. That's a I, good one. I, I know it's not always going to be sunshine and roses with these Riker episodes where he gets to be a, a commander, but uh, good ones so far. It's very the, exciting. There are some fun ones where he, he does something that's like completely out of his wheelhouse. There's one really late in the series. I think it's in season seven, mm-hmm. where. Um, he where he goes insane and he's mm. just like hallucinating that he's in this like alien abs- asylum, but then he's back on the Enterprise, but then he's back in the asylum. It's mm. Brun and Braga uh, like to write these really kind of psychedelic episodes, uh, and he's completely at a loss. There's no way you can command yourself out of insanity. Essentially, uh, the the world fell apart. So Riker's a good character for that to happen to. Yeah, yeah. Um, in any case, uh, he knows that Riker knew about a plan that Shelby had come up with mm. to split the Enterprise because the saucer section can detach yeah, uh, and use that as a distraction for the Borg and try to come at it from multiple angles. Uh, and Riker decides to go for it, knowing full well that Picard knew that plan. Mm. However, uh, the, that was actually a double bluff. And the saucer section was actually not the distraction. It was the thing that was going to attack it the most. Uh-huh. And they're able to get Data and Worf in a shuttle to get close enough to it in the midst of all the distractions to beam aboard the Borg ship. And we, and we, lear- and we learn that they don't care about that. You yeah. can walk around on the ship and they, there's no intruder alert. Yeah, so they, they're able to kidnap Picard back, return back to the ship, and boom, now they've got, a, now they've got their own Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, great little bit of action. Again, not not as huge as that big fight that we missed, but uh, it's clever strategy. Uh-huh. It is legitimately good captaining. Everyone gets something to do in this episode, which I always appreciate. Um, it's just top notch all around. Uh, and now the thing is, is that, okay, well, what do we do with this Borg we've got? And Crusher's like, well, I can remove the parts. That part's fine, but... Um, his brain is interconnected with the Borg, with basically the Borg cloud, hmm. uh, and I don't know if detaching him would kill him or not. And so it's up to Data to like set up a neural link into Picard's brain, and you know that oh, if they so had more time and money, they would have visualized that in oh, some like, kind of like CG <laughs> kind oh, of way, like kind of nightmare. No, um, uh, Data, we've seen him do it before. He removes like a chunk of his he- his head. Yeah, it's got a lot of Christmas lights. You in see, there. Like, yeah, like the, the circuitry underneath, and there's like a little plug under there. So he plugs that into the computer, and that yeah. wires into uh, in, into Picard, mm. into the Borg implants. Yeah. And so Data's essentially able to sort of surf around inside the collective yeah, without being assimilated. And again, we, we this is all in dialogue. We never actually see that visualized. And I think today they would do that. Yeah. I think it works just great. Uh, one little interesting bit of trivia here was um, uh, LeVar Burton had to have, I think, some kind of emergency surgery 
around mm-hmm. the time that this was going on. So he okay. isn't in the episode very much. Yeah. And his role at the end, where he was going to be the tech guy working on that with uh, Data and Troy and Crusher and Picard, uh, would ended up being taken by Miles O'Brien. Which ended up giving him like a little bit more of something to do and helps mm-hmm. boost his character because he's been gradually becoming more part of the crew this whole time. So, you know, I'm LeVar Burton turned out okay. Obviously, he's still around, you know, and, and awesome. But uh, that worked out in a weird way. Uh, one bit we kind of scooted over was there's a short bit where Picard is on the Enterprise mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> He's not going to kill... He's not going to try to kill everyone. There's no point in it. Mm. Uh, so he's just sort of hanging around. And there's a great bit where he's just talking to Worf. But he's taking well, on this persona well, as like this... Like, he's this, like worker. No, he's a Borg. Yeah, he's like he's a like, worker ant. Like, he doesn't have much of a person of his own. And he's talking about, you know, we're going to take over the the the, the Klingons. And mm. Worf's just like, no. And he's like, oh, all right, it'd be better for you if we did. Klingons will never yield. And he says something that actually is the only insight yeah. we get into the board. This is why I brought this up. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, uh, they say, we'll not resist you. We're going to do whatever we can. And he says, why do you resist us? Mm-hmm. Which is like a lot of personality for a Borg to ask yeah. that. Why, it's, like it's that, actually it's, cur- it's displaying like, curiosity. And again, the second it's it's removed mm-hmm. from the from the cube, mm-hmm. it starts. You know, well, either that's. It's a removal from the cube, mm. or this is some, like an insight into the Borg. Yeah, like the, the I way think they it operate. Is. And and he I says all we want is, I think he uses the word perfection. Yeah, we we just want to improve things. Yeah. So at some they, they, they don't they, think they, they're being evil. They actually and, and nor do they think I think they're being heroic. No, they see this as an improvement. This this is a logical way to improve the universe. Yeah. So there is actually something. Uh, like a hint of motivation there. Yeah. We don't know where they came from or where they, how they adopted this philosophy, but now they have a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Now there is an idea. And now they're Cybermen. Uh, I, yeah, I suppose so. They are. They're yeah, the Cybermen they are. from Doctor Who at that point. Which were introduced like... When, 60s. Yeah, the Cybermen are from one of the old yeah, school. one films, of the original, yeah. like, I, I don't remember, was the first, when was the first Cyberman episode? That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, first Cyberman episode. Which Season two. Oh gosh, so that's, like, that's like sixty-seven or something. That's like when yeah. the original Star Trek was still on. Mm. Yeah, damn. Uh, but it, they'll start exploring that notion a little in like really mawkish ways with Star Trek Voyager, because um, Seven of Nine, a Borg character, will become one of the main cast of that yeah. show. And uh, there's an episode of Voyager where uh, Seven of Nine has become obsessed with. So it, it's sort of like this Higgs boson uh, scenario. Uh, mm. She's looking for uh, this, this sort of like unified particle of some kind yeah like a subatomic particle that will make the universe like feel far more ordered it will be part of everything Mm -hmm. Uh, they go into more detail in the episode and she has to create this really elaborate kind of collider in order to create it but it takes so much energy to to make this uh, particle that she's only able to see it for a minute before the whole thing self-destructs and she's not able to capture it or record it at all she just sort of saw it and it's gone yeah uh and there's a conversation later where she said, I saw this particle and everything sort of fell together. Everything made sense. And uh, Captain Janeway says to Seven, you had a religious experience. Yeah. Like, this is something that the Borg kind of believe in in kind of a fundamental way. Yeah. Uh, 
I like that it's hinted at here rather than explored as something that can be negotiated. It's just mm. sort of a part of what they are. Yeah. They're still unstoppable. Knowing right. that doesn't help them in that moment. No, it does, it's not useful. It's just, yeah. but it does sort of illuminate. It gives you some and it, idea. And it also doesn't make them sympathetic. No, it doesn't make them sympathetic. Yeah. But it does suggest, I think, in a way with, that without being overly specific, without ruining our, our ability to imagine, mm-hmm. some idea of how the Borg started. Because they had to start somewhere. Yeah, because this isn't unless the technology is organic, and I think we've established that it's not. Uh, at some point, someone started adding machines to the things. Yeah, they probably thought it was a good idea at the time, mm-hmm. and now we have the Borg. Boom. I like that we don't know where they came from. No, I, 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 I don't hope think, we never do. That's I, uh, the, probably the, not useful. I mean, all, all the Borg stuff they've done since then kind of cha- I mean, changes a lot of what we know about them at this point in Star Trek. To be fair, but, though, uh, we've learned where everything else in the universe comes from. We found out why every, practically every sentient species is bipedal with like... With a head two, on top. With a head yeah, on yeah. top and two eyes and a mouth. Uh, and that's because they all come from like the same parent species or something seeded the universe with their own dna yeah like that's that's been well established they even hinted at that in the original series um so we know where all other life comes from so i guess it probably gonna hurt to know where the borg comes from but uh it it is nice to have an air of mystery isn't it and that Mm. is something that made the borg special um yeah that they were mysterious and unstoppable and and non-negotiable the the thing that is coming after you and you do not understand it and you cannot stop it Mm is incredibly satisfying for suspense, for action, for tension. Over a long enough timeline, you start getting to a point where you can't tell more stories unless you know a little bit more. Yeah. And I've seen this over and over again. Sometimes some stories handle it better than others. Uh, the, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, which I already mentioned, um, they did that too. The first season or so, like we knew a little bit about what the Cylons were doing, but mostly it was a mystery. Mm-hmm. And eventually we found out more, and it frankly was a little confusing, but it they made it work. Yeah. Um, I really liked uh, uh, season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> okay. In season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we're introduced to, like, because at this point, you know, they had fought, like, a really old, very powerful vampire, and, like, a vampire who was also your ex-boyfriend, so that... Just that much, that much crappier. Uh, an evil Satan worshiping mayor who becomes a dragon. Okay, cool. Uh, a, a an evil government uh, uh, sort of anti monster task force, and then eventually a cyborg Frankenstein, and then in season five, a god, a literal god, an actual god, and every single time they run into this actual god, all they can do is run. Mm. Like there's there's no defeating it throughout the entire season. It shows up. It's like, um, oh, what's that big fuck off monster in Resident Evil? The one that keeps yelling stars. Nem- uh, is it Nemesis? I think it might be Nemesis. Oh, actually. like the the Bazooka Mutant. Yeah, the Bazooka Mutant. I think his yeah. name is Nemesis. I, I just call it the Bazooka Mutant. It's the Bazooka Mutant. Yeah. But basically, he shows up and you're like, oh, I have not leveled up enough to fight that fucker. So you just kind of <laughs> run. Um, and that's what the Borg are for a while. But I wish after that was a while, dialogue in the movie. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I I don't have a high enough level yet. There's one thing I always want to see in like a video game movie because some video game movies are more like cute about their video game origins. Yeah, and I to be fair, I never I never saw that movie Free Guy. That's a movie that might have made this joke. Mm. But uh, you ever play video games with more than one person like in the room, and uh, you realize that you thought you were controlling the wrong character. Oh, you mix them up, yeah. Yeah, like oh, bit, I thought uh, it was Mario. I totally space. I forgot it was Luigi. That kind of thing all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just once, I want to hear just someone in a movie say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was you." 
<laughs> just that's I was walking into a wall. I thought it was you for a second. My bad. Yeah. Like just once I want to say it. Anyway, we're off in the weeds. Uh, um they realized I, I, I that the, bu- I had a button once that I wore on my shirt that said I I I'm not myself today. Maybe I'm you. Nice. Uh they realize that the 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 Borg was able to access all of Picard's knowledge. And yeah. that's what made them that much more difficult to defeat than ever before. But that goes both ways. And if there's any Picard left, he can steer them towards knowledge that would help them destroy the Borg. Yeah. So while they are connecting in this very uh, uh, plug-and-play kind of way, uh-huh. uh, Data realizes that there is a subset of uh, commands that you can give the Borg. Right. And you could well, potentially tell them to self-destruct, but those particular commands are full of security. Yeah, he... Uh, Data's big revelation, and this yeah. is very technical, and I know yeah. a lot of people didn't like this ending because it wasn't, there weren't fireworks to it. I love this ending. I, I actually, I really appreciate that they, yeah. that they find sort of a, 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 a sneakier way to take yeah. out the board rather they, than they, just blowing them up. It's clever, which is something mm. Riker is. He's repeatedly yeah. shown that over and over again. It's clever, it's, but it, and it gets the job done, and it's mm. full of suspense. Uh, but uh, the, the big revelation is Data essentially laying out a computer schematic. It's like, I've, I've discovered what the Borg are all about. They have, like, different subsystems, and yeah. and they, they use DOS, and I yeah. just need to, like, send in messages in BASIC, and yeah. he says that, of, of course, he can't just sort of break into the computer, computer system. Yeah. It's A, too complex, and B, of course, protected. Yeah. Uh, you so, can't give him any of, like, the big commands that would be, like, Blow up your own ship, yeah, surrender, right. all that kind of shit, and so, but they and they literally only have seconds before they're going to get uh, destroyed. But Data knows that he has access to like some of the lower subsystems. Mm-hmm. He's he's Joey and hackers who finds that garbage file with uh, with the worm yeah. inside of it. Yeah, that that Fisher Stevens was using to sort of hold hostage while he embezzles money. Uh huh. So this is just like the movie Hackers. It's exactly like the movie Hackers. And Picard is the guy who tells Joey what all of like the most obvious like codes are so that oh. he can break into the so he can hack the Gibson. Yeah. And Picard's <laughs> the one who he's able to overcome his board programming just enough to say, sleep. Mm. And the, and Dr. Crutch is like, oh, he's sleepy. He's exhausted. And, well, he would be. But and, it's and also Troy's like, yeah, but. <laughs> but does Troy, that sound like Picard to you? I love that the three in the room with Picard yeah. are uh, Dr. Crusher, because uh, medical problems, but also she's a friend. Uh-huh. Uh, Counselor Troy, who will be able to sense when he's like back, uh, alert and yeah. conscious. And Data, whose brain they're using. And also Miles, because and you need we an always, engineer. You always need yeah. an engineer, don't you? Just someone with duct tape. <laughs> um, there's, there's a good bit. Where uh, Data says, and uh, 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 I forget what, what's O'Brien's rank. He's a chief. Chief, Chief O'Brien. Chief O'Brien. Yeah. Chief O'Brien. Uh, uh, if you see, uh, if we come to a point where uh, it looks like everything is going to go bad, uh, you you have the ability to disconnect me. Mm. And O'Brien's like, well, how will I know when that happens? Data's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I've never done this before. <laughs> never done this before. I have no idea whatsoever. Um, Picard's the one who says sleep, and that's when Data realizes. I can't make them blow themselves up or surrender, but I can put them all into like sleep mode. Well, I can't make them all the, uh, seem like they're in regeneration mode. That's right. It was yeah. regeneration. Uh, we know that the the Borg can like yeah. just sort of automatically repair. Who's to say they don't already have nanites? So that plan mm. might not have worked. For all but, we know, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. If if he sort of gives a command, oh wait a minute, the ship is damaged. Uh-huh. He sort of tricks them into thinking it's damaged, and they're they go into repair mode, which means yeah. they they have to stop everything while they repair themselves. Yeah, it's like when you're playing Pokemon and like you're 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 
Charizard is like down to like one health, mm-hmm. but you don't want to lose a Charizard, so like you pull it back and yeah. let that heal a little bit while you put in one of your like one of your crappier Pokemon to like possibly get, die in order to get your Charizard cat- back cat- up to half health. Yeah. It's um, like that. Problem is, uh, Status effects don't change when you put your Pokemon into a Pokeball. Well, I didn't say the status. So, so, so if you if your Charizard is put to sleep and you call it back in, when you put it back out again, it's still. Asleep. I'm not saying it's put to sleep. I'm saying yeah. you just pull it out again and do some healing on it. You know, get the, get well, it back up. Well, it can only have healing potions when it's out of its Pokeball. You haven't played Pokemon. Enough, I've man. watched walkthroughs. <laughs> I thought I had, have, I thought I was on to take top your of Pokemon it. to a Pokemon Center and have them healed <laughs> by one of those Nurse Joy clones. I was Look, watching I, so many walkthroughs. I've, I've wasted so many fucking oh hours God, of my I life playing Pokemon. I, thought, I didn't realize you played it as well. I didn't even watch all the movies. I watched all the movies. I didn't realize you played all, it too. 20, like 25 of them. And, okay. Um, which, one did you, which one or ones did you play? I played Pokemon Gold. Okay. So one of the older ones. That yeah. was uh, for Game Boy Color. And I played uh, Pokemon... Uh, I started with Ruby and then mm-hmm. upgraded to Emerald, which is ah. sort of like the, the expanded version of Ruby. Got it. And then I haven't played since then. So it's, fair been, enough. it's been a while, but I've played Pokemon. I hear I thought it was being so clever. Um, anyway, so they tricked the Borg into going to sleep and then, uh, uh, well, they, they, the, the, well, the damn Borg, don't they? Yeah, the, the Borg uh, figure that they, um, they can't repair themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they're damaged beyond repair and their only solution is self-destruction. Which, mm. that's a very kind of machine thing. It's mm. like, well, we can't have sort of a damaged ship flying around, which goes into that sort of, uh, we need everything to be sort of perfect and arranged well. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really weird, because when you look at a Borg, they have, like, tubes sticking out of their head, and, like, all these haphazard ways. They don't look clean and efficient. They look kind of, like, wiry and organic. But they don't know what the explosion is going to do to Picard. It's a bit, little bit of a fear. There's a, a wonderful scene where... Uh, Riker has a moment of hesitation. It's like, do we do? Yeah, do it. Mm. And the ship blows up. Uh, Picard has like a little bit of an attack and then, and he's okay. Yeah, Picard's fine. He's broken from the collective because of the destruction of that one ship. Uh, We, we cut ahead a little bit to uh, sort of a denouement. Get everything back up and running. We're in Picard's uh, private office. But uh, Riker's story is over now. Kind of. Well, Picard's, I want to get Picard's to that. Picard's back. I want to get to that. Picard's back. Riker's with him. Uh, Shelby says, uh, yeah, cool. Uh, well, uh, that's my two-parter. I'm out. I was a bit of a MacGuffin. I was like tricked into thinking I was going to stick around. I will never be seen again. Uh, but don't worry. I'll be doing Borg stuff uh, here on uh, Earth. So yeah. I'm set. Uh, uh, kind of a bummer. Gwen McCool to bring her back at some point. They do. They do? Okay, my research session never came back. How did in, she, in a book. Novels. Uh, not, not, not just I one book. I want to throw my coffee cup at a wall. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's cheating. <laughs> you can't do that. You said you once liked uh, Dr. Silar, the, yes. the Vulcan doctor. We get to see what happens to her in a book. Uh, that makes so me happy. Give, I give thought her, she give was her like, cool. a conclusion. Okay. Uh, but Peter David invented his own Star Trek series mm-hmm. called Star Trek New Frontier. It's a new ship, new mm-hmm. captain, new crew. Captain Shelby was the first officer on that. That's Chip. Okay. I mean, Commander um, Shelby. Or Commander Shelby, excuse me. Because mm, she's a captain, she'd be the captain. Uh, Ca- captain was a, a new character named Captain Mackenzie. Mackenzie mm. Calhoun was the name of the character. Oh, my God. Um, it, yeah, it's, it takes place after the events of Next Generation. So mm. a, a couple 
uh, familiar characters are brought okay. in to uh, sort of fill out the crew, but then there's some like new alien characters That's cool. as well. Let me see. Uh, let me look up the entire um, list of New Frontier characters here, because yeah, Commander Shelby is there. Mm-hmm. There's um, a, a like a genderless machine character named Burgoyne One Seven Two. Okay. Uh, Doctor Salar. Yay! Is the chief medical officer. Uh, I guess that's the only. Oh, and um, mm. and Edward Jellico shows up a bunch. Yay! Captain, Captain Jellico is. I'm a, so glad like because Jellico can as can as Jellico do. Oh, and you'd like this. Um, what is her rank? Oh, she she was pulled out of time, mm. like from the past, and served on board the the main ship in New Frontier. But Umres comes back. Yay! Like she, she's one of the, the major characters and, uh, who shows up. If and, you don't know who we're talking about, Umres was a character who was invented for Star Trek: The Animated Series. Uh, she was one of two regular characters, mm. like new crew members on the Enterprise, who are in the animated series. And to the best of my knowledge, have never shown up in live action. Umres was a cat person. Mm. Like it was uh, not that she really, she didn't just really like cats. She was actually a humanoid cat, uh-huh. much like uh, the uh, that one sex worker in um, Star Trek Five. Uh, and um, yeah, she was cool. I liked <laughs> oh, uh, him, Raz. Also, Robin Leffler. We haven't met her yet. No, uh, she's the character played by Ashley Judd. Oh, cool. Uh, Ashley Judd got her acting start on Star Trek, and she played a uh, ensign Robin Leffler in two episodes. She was a friend of Wesley's. That's cool. Well, I'm glad. So yeah, she's also on New Frontier, mm. as is a character named. I think this is really interesting. Hmm. A character named Zach Cabron, who is a, a species called Brickar, and they're like, uh, like they're like the thing. They're made of stone, okay, skin like rocks, and. That species, Brickar, ended up showing up on Prodigy. Oh, it, that's that one it's, guy. It's what? Um, pardon? Isn't there one character who's like who's like that? Who's like yeah, all, she, all, she's, all rocky? She's like a ten year old girl, but yeah, she's yeah. like this like nine foot tall rock monster. Fun. Uh, and it's I think this is the only case in Star Trek history where something in the non canonical novels became canon afterwards. Oh well, that's or it was nice. invented for a novel first. That's cool. At that point, like if we're gonna. Oh, I came up with a rock person. Well, we already got one of those. Can we just call it that? Yeah, that'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, the conclusion: Shelby goes away, and uh, Picard says he's very, very proud of Riker. Isn't that nice? And uh, Riker is going to go back to being second in command for another four years or hmm. so. We're not. We're just going to just drop that. Okay, fine. Uh, and uh, Picard. Seems like everything's going to be okay. And Picard sort of looks out into the deep, dark void of space. Mm. And we go off on a somewhat somber note. Because Picard just went through something incredibly traumatic. Physically traumatic. Mm. Like they literally shoved like, things into his body. Like the yeah, and tubes he, and wires and things. And he has like uh, these plates on his face. Mm-hmm. Like, showing Kind of wish they kept them. Just kept them there. Like a scar. Like yeah. whatever. Like that, that might not heal right, you know? Mm. Um... He's been he's been physically transformed. He's been mentally invaded. He remembers all of it. He remembers yeah. being part of a hive mind, which has got to be a real, just a real tough thing to do. Uh, so, of course, it would be incredibly irresponsible uh, to let Picard be captain the next day <laughs> and just let him go on like nothing happened. And then just like well, go on a series of adventures, uh, even though he would probably need at least months, if not years, of therapy to deal with all the shit he just went through. Uh, but 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 Star Trek just does that anyway. You know what? The next episode, he's not captain. 
Oh, really? It's a break episode for everybody. Okay. They, they go on leave and they all visit family members. It's called Family. Great. And this is where we get to meet his brother. Mm-hmm. He goes back to his vineyard. He deals with sort of a, more, the more human element of his character, mm-hmm. where he's actually going through like personal things. And, uh, that's and he does that for a couple of years? Uh, at least a month. We've It's established that uh, okay. episodes can take about a month. Okay. So, you know, take, taking a break from captaining is, mm-hmm. is on the docket. So worry not. I'm He's, still going to worry because a month is not enough. <laughs> That's not a lot of time to deal with maybe the most traumatic thing that could happen to you. Luckily, he's got a really good counselor. That's true. We, we never we never see her in action, but we're guessing that... He's got a counselor and a, and the universe's greatest bartender. That's right. Yeah. So Counselor Troy and Guinan are going to uh-huh. set him straight. And he's got a good book and his reading light. <laughs> he's gonna... per- personal relaxation light. <laughs> Sounds like code for a bong. <laughs> going to go hit my personal relaxation we'll, we'll get to this. I think it's in season five when we have mm-hmm. inner light. But, man, they really just do not take into consideration that some of the shit people go through on the show uh, is not something you can get over quickly. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's something they joke about on mm-hmm. uh, on Lower Decks. I'll bet. There's a character who, who dies at the end mm-hmm. of season one of Lower Decks. Yeah. And then at the start of season two, he's back. Yeah. And the ensigns, of course, the main characters on that show are ensigns, and they, they don't, don't know everything going on. They don't yeah. get to know what's going on on the bridge. They're yeah. not savvy to the main story. They're like always in the B plots. That's the joke of the show. So one of them says, "So, so what happened? Why is he back?" And say, "You don't ever answer, don't ever ask. <laughs> Somebody dies and is resurrected. This happens all the time. Yeah, it's it's, re- it's rude. It's 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 really rude, and it might bring up some trauma because they died. So just yeah. don't don't mention it. Just he's back, and you treat him like he's back. When you're living in a universe where Death and other like <coughs> other events that we in in our actual existence mm. would find deeply traumatic, uh, but where they are framed very differently, they're not as final, they're not as certain, they might not even be as bad. Mm. Um, it's always interesting to me when they try to lean into that or when they try to forget. There was an there was an issue of like, Justice League, I think, mm. where one of I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it might have been Martian Manhunter. But one of their one of the superheroes died, and they had a funeral, and it was a superhero funeral. We find out the superhero funerals are a little different. Uh huh. And you know, instead of having the usual ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or whatever your religion mm. says, they're usually words that are said at a funeral that are you know sort of part of the ritual. Um, the words that they said at the funeral were, "And we pray for a swift resurrection." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it's going to happen eventually. Super, we hope it's soon. Superhero comics, nobody dies. Really. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's sad when they die because they might be gone. They'll be but gone. they'll probably come back and we hope it's soon. For a while. Yeah. I thought that was, it was cool that they acknowledged that. It was like a, the ending of Bride of Chucky. Well, yeah. Um, Charles Lee Ray, soul of a serial killer, was yeah. put in a toy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like this and, he got, and he gets stuck in this toy, and he gets killed, but then they remelt the plastic, and he comes back. Like, mm-hmm. And he's constantly trying to find a way to like use a voodoo ritual to try to find another human to, like, body. Yeah, and, shunt into a human body, because yeah. he's sick of being a toy. And, and wouldn't you be, as well? Yeah. <coughs> he, he, he dies and gets crushed, and then his ex-girlfriend finds him and sews him back together, and he's just a doll again. This time he's just yeah. messed up. Uh, at the end of Bride of Chucky, they finally have a drop on him. He's stuck in a grave. They got a gun on him. He just yells, you can't kill me. I'll be back. I'm always back. And then he kind of looks down a little bit and just with complete no hope in his voice. But dying such a bitch. 
like I think that's the movie where um, he got, no I think it was the fifth one I think it was Seed of Chucky oh. where they're gonna like he's gonna like put himself into the body was it like Method Man no it was Jennifer Tilly playing herself no Jennifer Tilly but he was gonna get in, he was gonna have a human was, body it, as well oh it was Red Man it was Red Man yeah uh, he's about to do the ritual and he's like wait a minute I don't want to be human anymore. Yeah, it's been he's been a a, a doll for so yeah. long. It's like oh, okay, that's you know this is you just know what? my life. I, now. I just I've I'm gotten a, used I'm a to it. Doll. There's there's a lot of advantages, <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. I, this is who I am now. So I'm not going to take that promotion. I'm going to stay second in command of the Enterprise. <laughs> We've Ch- brought it back around. Charles Lee Ray has a little growth. Anyway, that's the best of both worlds. Mm. Uh, episodes one and two. Um, Damn good television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, again, because Next Generation doesn't do a lot of the space battle episodes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're occasionally, but it's pretty rare. They've been much more about, like, uh, character episodes or high-concept episodes or uh, bottle episodes a lot. But, like, this is, like, the one where they threw some money at it and it worked. They spent the money where it needed to go. They had a great buildup. They paid it off well twice. Hmm. There were surprises. There was actually, and this is something that there are so many shows that are about people who are clever, and it's very frustrating when they don't act clever. Hmm. And it's so difficult to write, like an episode of Doctor Who, for example, where the Doctor does something that's legitimately like, "Whoa, I never would have thought of that," and isn't just. He just talked for a really long time until they came up with something. Like, he just talked for a really long time until everyone was distracted and then he flipped a switch. Like, it wasn't actually that clever this time. Yeah. Everyone's super clever. Everyone, like, actually came up with good ideas. A lot of, Everyone contributed. This wasn't an episode where a lot of people took a back seat because the episode just wasn't about them. Oh, another thing I really liked. Uh, real fast. We talked about uh, um, why would they pick a, a second in command from outside the Enterprise. Uh-huh. And when Riker accepts that he's captain, mm. he picks a second in command. Yeah. And he, I appreciate that he, because it's going to be Shelby, because we mm. way I'll introduce her. But I appreciate that he talks to Worf and Data first. Yeah, Worf and Data were next in line to be yeah. first officer. And he says, like, listen, we're in the middle of a war, and I need, Worf, I need you in, sec- in security. Yeah. Like, that's, you know it best. Asking anyone else to do it now we, we, would put the enterprise in jeopardy. We can't have people switching departments and learning new stuff. We Not, need you where you're comfortable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is what we need right now. Uh, Data, I came this close to picking you, but I also need you to where, where you're comfortable. Shelby's the logical choice in this situation. Yeah. And Data, and he, I appreciate he even says, and Data, I know because of your very nature, you have no ambition, uh-huh. but I, I seriously did consider you. And Data's like, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, like, sir. Neat. <laughs> I, I've no ego to bruise, but yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, I, it, I, I appreciate now, that you thought of me. Had they not rescued Picard, yeah, had the show continued without Patrick Stewart, yeah, which seemed like a real possibility, could have been done. That's what they want us to think could happen. Yeah, and it uh, seems, and and they left the pieces in such a place where you you can imagine it. Bringing in Commander Shelby mm. as sort of the new Riker, I think, would have made a great new dynamic. Sure. Because uh, I like that character, She's and I great. like the relationship she has with Riker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could have gotten you, you, to know her a little bit and mm-hmm. sort of learn a little bit about her backstory. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so yeah, new character means you know, new stories to explore. Mm-hmm. New relationships with different characters as exactly, well, and that yeah. can really expand the types of stories you want to tell. It can be really cool. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see her behave like really coldly to the rest of the crew. Maybe. Different from what Riker did. Riker would play poker. She's yeah. a little bit more... Well, she played poker. ...business-oriented. She played poker with him in the first... In the best yeah, poker. but but to show him up. Like, it was all, uh, it was all this, like, ego character stuff. It wasn't yeah. to be friendly. We, we really only saw her with Riker, Picard... And data mm-hmm. in any meaningful way. Yeah. So we still don't know what she's like with mm-hmm. Dr. Crusher. We don't know what she's like with Troy. So much you could explore. Uh, if they decided not to go with Shelby uh-huh. and Worf actually became the first officer, uh-huh. that would have been a completely different show. Would have been a very different show. Mm. Could have been good. Yeah. I would have been excited about it. Uh, I'd say that they'd have an opportunity to explore Worf a little bit more, but mm-hmm. uh, Michael Dorn mm. uh, has appeared on more episodes of Star Trek than any other actor. <laughs> Because he was on Deep Space Nine for four right. seasons. Uh, so we got plenty with Worf. Yeah, Worf, Worf was good. I think it would have been really exciting. Was, uh, the other thing you have to remember is um, we've never had a female uh, captain or uh, 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 second command on the regular series at this point. Yeah, there was one in the pilot. There was one in the pilot. Didn't pan out. Uh, and in fact, the fact that the second in command was was not a man was part of the points of contention, allegedly, with the network. Uh, sexist. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then we've had other characters who are captains of various ships who are women. Not a lot, but a few. But we've seen them. Yeah. But we've seen them. It's 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 been happening. But to have that be uh, a, a regular mm-hmm. would have been pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's something we wouldn't get really until uh, Voyager. The um, the problem is in order to get that show, which sounds kind of interesting, mm-hmm. Captain Riker on board the Enterprise, Commander Shelby is his first in command, and they they kind yeah. of little spiky. Sure. Uh, we would have to go without Patrick Stewart. Yes. And I think Patrick Stewart, because he's such a, a, a stern, professionally trained actor. Yeah. And he, one of his great talents, Patrick Stewart, is being able to say whatever kind of fantasy nonsense you throw at him <laughs> and make it sound natural and authoritative. Uh, and I think his presence on the show is actually what altered the tone of it a lot and made it a little bit more of a serious program. So, while I would I would have watched Cap- the Captain Riker, it probably would have been good. Uh, I'm kind of glad we stuck with Picard just because I'm so fond of that character. I think I think Picard. Uh, I think he always would have been a great and appreciated iconic character. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think uh, I think he's important yeah. to the series. Uh, there was one anecdote I, I really liked reading from uh, this episode where uh, Patrick Stewart came to the set and he was covered in his board gear, uh-huh. and everyone's like, "Oh shit." It looks really intimidating. And they did a screen test where he walks up to the camera and says, I am Locutus of Borg. Yeah. Uh, and apparently he walked up to the camera and all creepy, full, fully in character. Uh, I am Locutus of Borg. Mm-hmm. Have you considered buying a Pontiac? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, that's, that's. Um, I think they used that in Pontiac ads at some point yeah. in, in England. But yeah. 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 Great. Um, uh, yeah. I'm glad they brought uh, Picard back. But. Yeah. Because the best of both worlds is a Riker episode, and it's about his career and about how he got to be mm-hmm. a command and how he was okay stepping back. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coasting with Riker for the rest of the series. He has nowhere else to go. He's co- he's, he's gone to where he's comfortable. He had an opportunity to go somewhere mm-hmm. more, and he decided not to consciously. The, uh, we're done. All the Riker episodes from here on out are either going to be about his past uh-huh. or about his romantic conquests. Yeah. And that's kind of it. That's all we got for him. No, no wonder he wanted to direct more. 
Yeah, and Jonathan Frakes uh, yeah. has made quite a tidy career of directing TV. Yeah. He's only directed a few movies, but yeah, if look up a popular TV series, he's probably done an episode or two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that is it for The Best of Both Worlds. Season four is upon us. And if you want to listen to our uh, our insights on every single episode of Star Trek before Best of Both Worlds and every single episode of Star Trek Afterwards, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, I believe it is at our $10 tier uh, where you get weekly episodes of all our yesterdays. In addition to a whole bunch of other podcasts, you get our entire back catalog and upcoming episodes of uh, Only the Best, where we review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We have a lot of podcasts at our $1 tier that are also included. Uh, you get our entire back catalog where we reviewed every single episode of the Adam West Batman. We're currently going through every single installment, and there's a lot more than you'd think of the Step Up franchise. And when we're done with that, we're seriously considering doing all the Godzillas, which would be very fun. Uh, and yeah, and we're going to do Star Trek until we die. Like, we're just going to keep going. But we're yep. going along in a pretty good clip, and it's a really exciting time, and it's a really cool time uh, to be a Trek fan. So again, you get nearly 200 episodes in our back catalog of Trek. And every episode of Trek to come, if you sign up at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone at the Patreon page, uh, because without you, we would not exist. Mm-hmm. It would not be possible. It, it just wouldn't. Uh, and uh, it means the world to us that you're there. So thank you. Thank you to everyone. Uh, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, you want to talk about Star Trek, you want to talk about this particular two-parter, you remember, you remember uh, anything we forgot about it? Were you there when it came out and you have, a, you have an anecdote you want to share? We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail, or you could send a letter the old-fashioned way. Yeah, write, write it on a piece of paper. Write it in longhand. Whitney, what is our P.O. And, box? Uh, yeah, send it to our P.O. Box. Uh, it is the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you follow us on Twitter, we're at Critic Acclaim. I myself am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we'll also post when this episode goes live uh, our idea for the perfect first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. We cut out all the chaff and we give you the 16 episodes that give you the Star Trek mm. and you can you can avoid all of the really racist ones <laughs> and all of the really sexist ones and all the ones that are just really badly written uh, and you can get like a good introduction to the characters and mm. uh, the setups the future episodes uh, even some of the weird ones um, and we'll let's and, post that and, there and we'll post it on the Patreon and we left in the fun ones as well yeah, the ones that aren't ones. like necessarily character or story oriented yeah. but are just exciting we, to we wanted it to be kind of representative of what this Trek is and we wanted to include the major character episodes yeah. as well but even then two seasons still only about 16 good ones <laughs> but um, I, I, I think that's a really good way to get caught up in Star Trek if you don't want to take the time to watch all those other seasons and you just go right to season three and there's a couple of duds, but season three has been mostly bangers. Mm. And I'm really, really excited for season four. Whitney, what happens on the next episode of Star Trek? You already mentioned it briefly. I mentioned it's called Family. And mm-hmm. yeah, after the, the big experience with the Borg, uh, Picard's going to take a little time off. That's nice. He's going to visit his brother. And it turns out he and his brother don't get along too well. Ah, bummer. Uh, I, bet it, I bet there's, there's a moment where he's so angry at his brother. He's like, God, I miss the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> Never complained with my pod mate. And uh, he's also going to meet his nephew, a young boy named Rene. Ah. And uh, everything goes well for Rene, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Rene and Robert will turn out just fine. 
we're gonna send them to a to an even nicer vineyard to live out the rest of their lives. You'll never uh, see them again, but trust me, they're happy. Uh, Star Trek is really good about sort of reusing actors. If, yeah. if you're in one episode of Trek, you're just, chances are good you're, you're yeah. gonna show up again. They'll give you the, a new forehead, and you'll yeah, be fine. you get to yeah. play another. Uh, Another character. Sometimes you'll play a character who is very suspiciously like the character you already played, and you don't even have to change your appearance, and they're not really going to talk about it. No. That happens too. Why does that one terrorist look just like Tuvok? It's weird. Yeah. Uh but the the actor who plays Renee, the boy, um, will show up later in the show as the young Picard. Oh, it's weird. It's going to be an episode where um, a transporter ac- accident de-ages several characters and nice. turns them into children. And uh, That's fun. The actor who plays Picard is the same actor who plays his nephew, Renee. It was funny when Justice League did it. They turned into babies? Yeah, no, they're little kids. Okay. Yeah, they were like de- everyone on Earth was de-aged, and the Justice League were trying to figure out like, and everyone's everyone's like trying to enjoy being a kid, but Batman's like even more broody because <laughs> he's still dealing with it, and like it's like ah, <laughs> puberty emotions make it worse. <laughs> anyway, uh, that is it for all our yesterdays. Thank you, everybody, once again. Whitney, as always, take us out on a classic Star Trek quote. Well, Let's I, see if I, I can guess I, it. I actually chose one from this episode. Oh, well, okay. Because I like I like well, this episode. I want to see if I remember this episode right. well enough. When a man is convinced that he's going to die tomorrow, he'll probably find a way to make that happen. Well, that there was Guinan, that, that was. Yeah, that was Guinan.